Welcome everyone to the Two Tongues Podcast. Consider this your invitation to join Kyle and Chris on a journey through our minds. Where we explore the questions that have fascinated us for as long as we can remember. Could anarchy actually work? Does God exist? And just how did the cosmos get here anyway? Let me be the Virgil to your Dante, the Sacagawea to your Lewis and Clark. Let's take the guided tour through the dark chambers of our unconscious, seeking answers to the most important and unsettled questions of our shared existence. Ready or not, here we we go. go. Welcome back, you motherfuckers. Welcome back to your... uh... Weekly dose of mansplaining, and uh, I don't know. I don't know what else we're gonna get into. What Definitely some mansplaining, though. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> um, what was I gonna say? Oh, you know what occurred to me while we were uh, waiting for the intro to go over. So I have that intro just sound as a saved as a, as a sound button. I could just press a button, play the intro, you know. And you and I sit through that intro every single time. Yep. And it just occurred to me, dude, you can just record it once. You can just record the intro once and then tack it on to the beginning of all your episodes. Why are you, why are you sitting through the music, man? Do we know how to do that? I know we're pretty... Yeah, uh, I think we could do that. Yeah. I know we can do it. I just don't know if we know how... You know how to do it. Yeah. I mean, yeah? Yeah. I can do that. Cool. I've had to do that a little bit before with this software. It makes it super easy. Yeah. Shout out to Hindenburg. Hindenburg. Did they name it after the, uh, the disaster? Mm, they, mm, that's the good. president that the disaster was named after. Is that is that the case? I didn't know. Yeah, I, th- yeah. I thought the Hindenburg was the name of the airship. Yeah, I mean, it was named after the president of Germany, oh. von Hindenburg. Oh, von Hindenburg. Oh, why didn't you say so? <laughs> um, when was that, Hindenburg? That's a good question. Was it Weimar Republic Germany? Was it? I think it had to have been somewhere in there because I think Hindenburg was the president when Hitler came to power. Oh. Mm. So... The Chancellor. Yeah. The Führer. Mm. <laughs> I was just thinking of uh, uh, the Emperor, the Star Wars, the, the political scene Palpatine. from the... Yeah. But, you know, that's no mistake. That was that was pretty oh, much... Yeah. Yeah, it was oh, yeah. Based on yeah, yeah, that. Hitler. So, um, two things we got to talk about first right off the bat. Kyle's hair and beard look terrific. His hair's getting longer. It's yeah. called Curly. Looks like a Viking. Speaking of which, you reading them fucking Viking books, man? A little bit more. Yeah, okay. I've, I've put a little bit more. But like I said, I don't I don't know that it, I've got enough to talk about yet. i got to, like, organize and mm. figure out what I'm saying. Yeah, it seems like he's buying some buying some time over here. He's I like, am. Let's, uh, but, I, but I definitely have read some of it. Cool. Um, I'd be interested to hear what, what you come back with. The other thing on the other side of the table is this awesome Don Johnson, Stephen Crowder. Yeah, uh, holster that my wife bought me for uh, Father's Day. So um, her and I got our concealed carry. Um, I don't know why. Maybe just for something to do. And um, and we, I bought a couple pistols and then didn't really didn't really like fire them or practice with them. And so I didn't feel comfortable carrying them around. And um, I just it's just a matter of time. I just had to do it. So finally I did uh, go to the range and clean the gun and I felt more comfortable with it. So she buys me this for Father's Day. Obviously it's not Father's Day yet, but we have a really difficult time not giving each other gifts if we bought them early. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I just got it when it showed up. And uh, it's so cool, man. It's leather. 
It's that old-fashioned detective style over the shoulders so you can hide it under your coat sort of situation. And it's it's dope, man. It came from Turkey. Turkey, huh? Yeah. It's turkey leather? It's, I think it's Italian leather. Um, uh, how cool is that, man? It's cool. He's brandishing a weapon at me right now. It's not loaded. It's not loaded, <laughs> Kyle. Um, yeah, this is cool, man. So I bought I bought a Beretta when I first got my CCW, and it's a full-size Beretta. Italian leather? Italian handgun? Yeah, yeah. You like the Italian James Bond? Yeah. What would that be? James Bondino? Uh, Jimmy Mondino. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, the full size bread was way too big to carry around. It's, it's. I mean, I, it's laughable. The, but it was really hard to find guns back then. That was when like people were buying them up left and right. Yeah, it's like the height of COVID, and there was a long line to get them and all that. Yeah. Um, so I bought, I bought it sight unseen, and there's no way I could carry it. So then I went and got a Sig P365. Oh, and it is Sig's uh, German, I think. I thought. Sig was Swiss, but Maybe I it is. think I don't. Th- I don't think Swiss it. Swiss German. It's all the same. I think the might, company might have got bought. But anyway, this is just the perfect size gun, and it's nine millimeter. Sweet dude. All right, uh, we did the whole manly bit about uh, guns. It, are you gonna like start wearing jackets? Um, to cut to conceal. I don't know, man. Like, I'll tell you what. Probably yes. Um. Because I kind of like that aesthetic anyway, that like Chino professor uh, patches on the sleeves coat. <laughs> maybe he's wearing a button down underneath it, but maybe it's a t-shirt um, kind of kind of aesthetic. So I probably will. But if we ever if we ever get to a point where Ohio becomes like Texas or parts of Texas, where people just wear open guns everywhere, then you don't feel like you're a target if you're the only guy wearing this on the outside of your clothes. If everybody's wearing a gun, I will wear this just like this. It's a nice little accessory. Another thing that I came to is I remember when I was shooting the ammo at the range. It's range ammo, which means it has less powder in it, and it's it's shitty ammo. Yeah. What I didn't realize is when I busted out the hollow points that I bought for home protection, because it's the, I don't know how we got on guns, but I think I did it. Well, anyway, um, the hollow points were expensive, and uh, they were hard to find at the time. Ammo was hard to find. Fucking A. And I noticed when I started loading the um, clip that the ammo compared to the uh, range ammo, is gorgeous. And yeah. this, oh, sorry, I dropped a, here, look at this. This is like jewelry for men. Yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a, a nice little bit of engineering. It's like stainless steel and brass and gorgeous, man. It's got that nice weight to it. Man, I don't know. Don't want to get hit with one of those. No, you do not. Oh, man, I'm having a hard time getting that back in. Oh, boy. How many, uh, what's the capacity on that thing? I think it's, let me see, it'll say on the side, uh, 12, 12 rounds. Not an extended magazine or anything crazy, but um, beautiful, man. These bullets are absolutely beautiful. When you uh, start carrying, you're going to carry it loaded, or are you going to carry it like you, you had it there? I'm going to carry it loaded, and uh, it's yeah. funny because I, I drove to Columbus this weekend. One in the chamber? Well, that's the thing. I was, I was getting ready to. Um, I drove to Columbus this weekend, and I wore it because I wanted to show my dad, and he was he thought it was cool. Yeah. Um, but he also, he also suggested that I not, he's like, you know, you should wear it concealed or you're a, or you'll be a target if there's ever a shooter. And Smart I get, I, I get that. I get that. 
but I just wanted to show them. So, yeah, yeah. so I took it off and I took the, I, I took the uh, clip out and I opened up the chamber to see if there was one uh, in there, but there wasn't. And as soon as he saw that there wasn't one chambered, he just berated me. He's like, dude, if you're going to carry a gun, it needs to be ready to shoot when, in, a, in an instant. Right there. You can't have, you don't have time to, 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 uh, to cock that gun, man. You got to just pull the trigger. Yep. Um, so anyway, uh, but there's no, there's no um, ammunition in here now. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't want you to be. I don't want you home. to be worried about it yeah. sitting across from me. You know, I don't want. We don't want a an accident, dude. My my grandpa, my dad's dad. He's always carrying a gun, and he's so willy. He's so like loosey goosey with it. So he's like this old man, and he barely he doesn't. I mean, he gets around, but he is labored, and he sits down, and he just takes pulls his gun out of his pants because he he's got a big belly. It would hurt, and he just throws it on the table. You know. It's still like in the holster. Wallet. Yeah, it's still in the holster, but it's just like, you know, if you're a cautious person, you're not like, doing that. Yeah. And there's like kids, kids, <laughs> kids running around. My grandpa just drops it, drops it on the table. Does your gun have a safety? It does not. Yeah. So I would have to, again, put one in the chamber, stick it in the holster, ready to go with no safety. Um, but apparently, you know, it's not gonna. It's not gonna go off. I mean, I, I had that fear, but my dad looked at me and just shook his head, like, yeah. you know, you have a nice holster. There's no. There's no way the trigger's gonna get pulled while it's in the holster. Yeah. So my Walther PPQ has uh, a special trigger. It's got like a, oh. a I don't know, like a double trigger mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. a thing, and you have to hit them both before it'll fire. So yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that. My the Walther is a big gun. I mean, I, I think I'm still going to try to conceal it because you can get things to conceal it. You know, yeah. like holsters for a gun that size and whatnot. I want a fanny pack, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if they make one. They do. A for fan, sure, they fa- do. a fanny pack specifically for holding a gun. That's yep. that's pretty cool. Nobody would suspect the guy with the fanny pack. Nope. Nobody would suspect, unless you know, Kyle. He's like this, you know. Middle aged, not middle aged yet, but I I think you could say like a middle aged white dude, you know, with like a t shirt and a beard and long hair. According to the news, that's pack. exactly who you should be expecting. Yeah, look, look, Kyle, Kyle looks like a tourist. Yeah, you know. Um, I I don't know. I think I also <clears throat> I, I have some weird things going on because I not I'm not a biker on any level. I would like to have a motorcycle though, man. Motorcycles are fucking cool. I want. I one. saw you tweet about that, and I want to know. What caused that? Um, I saw a guy thought. on a motorcycle. Was it? <laughs> was it? Was it? Was it the experience? The hair? The wind? The uh, the, 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 the noise? Riding, the... Or was it the motorcycle? Was it the beauty of that the motorcycle? Too. It was a Harley Davidson. It was oh. a good looking motorcycle. Oh, yeah. Um, but I, just like you ever, you know, you ride in your car all the time, but you ever ridden in a go kart? Yeah. It's just funner for it's, even though you don't go as fast if for some reason. It's just funner. You're like out there in the elements, you know. The wind's hitting you. Yeah, it's way fun. Yeah. So I, when I so I've done that like go karts at like tourist places, but I also did one when I was a teenager at an indoor track with my buddy Chris, and uh, the, those go karts go like forty miles an hour, mm-hmm. and it's on this indoor track. So it that was a tremendous amount of fun, man. When I was a kid, oh my god. Hell yeah. That was so much fun. Yeah, uh, super dangerous, I think, but it was it was fun. Yep. Just zipping around at forty miles an hour. Motorcycle. Talk about super dangerous motorcycles. Also very dangerous, but living so on the edge. If, if you were to get a motorcycle, what 
kind appeals to you? I don't know Harley. shit about them, but definitely, I think probably are. Do you want Do you want the the fucking ape no, hangers? You just no. want like you just want like a traditional like a sportster type of a. Of I don't know. I don't know the types all that well, but yeah, I mean me either. I'm just talking completely out of my. Head. I want like a big bike. I definitely don't want like a. You know, a Kawasaki or whatever. Yeah, you don't want a rice burner or whatever they call them. Exactly, no, I don't want that. Me, me, me. Nope. I know that those are like the fastest kind, but... Yeah, but why would you want that? Yeah. What, you know, that's the thing, man. It's like, with that much horsepower, there's all sorts of problems that can happen. You know, the bike gets out from under you, it pops a wheelie. There's all kinds of things that you have to learn that are hard to control. If you have all that muscle underneath you, you have to really learn how how to wield it. It does. It's not for a beginner, yeah. and I don't know if anybody needs a bike that fast. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I knew, used to know this guy in Columbus who had one of those kind of bikes who would run from cops, <laughs> who would get caught speeding on purpose, and then just like take off because yeah. they're not fucking catching you. you know? <laughs> oh man, that's like some uh, video game shit, man. Yeah. Um, the guy was an idiot. So this is probably like I, I'm reluctant. I'm one of these guys that likes things that I like to like things that not not a lot of people like. I like to be, you know, I like to feel like I'm, I'm, uh, you know, unique in some way. You're a fucking hipster, dude. I, I try to avoid liking the things that everybody likes. So I don't know, man. Maybe that's just a in- human instinct to try to separate yourself. But the point is, um, Indians, Indian motorcycle. Oh yeah. Those things got really popular because of uh, American Pickers. That guy was always, uh, always finding those Indians, and um, a lot of people like them now because it's been, you know, like on a popular TV show for years and years, drilling it into everyone's head that they're cool. But if you put one of those old Indians next to any other kind of motorcycle you could think of, I gravitate towards those things. I think they're fucking cool. Yeah. They're, they're old timey. They're simple. They look, they look like a Harley, but they're just cooler to me, man. Um, and I, I otherwise feel very much like you do. I don't think I'd, I would want a rice burner. I don't think I would want, you know, I might, there's certain types of Harleys that I, that I would like, yeah. but my wife will lose her effing mind if I would ever even mention it by yeah, a motorcycle. I've mentioned it to Chelsea before, and she's not she's not been supportive of the idea. <laughs> my but, my wife know. my wife told me that she, I have to pick basically if I wanted a motorcycle, it would be her or the motorcycle. Jesus. So yeah, she because she's she's basically like if you get a motorcycle, you're going to die or be gravely injured. It's only a matter of time. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I think I prefer to keep you. One of these days, though. <laughs> uh, but where how we originally got onto that is I think that people do think uh, people do think that bikers are likely to carry you know like a, a guy on a motorcycle is slightly more likely to be carrying than a guy in a BMW I think you're right yeah um, and I think I got even though I don't own a motorcycle I think I got a little bit of a biker look um, yeah, for sure. You'd, which you'd, I don't go if for. You, dude, if you put a leather vest on with no sleeves, there's a leather vest with some patches. Yeah, dude. I used to work in a, in a biker shop do you back have, in the do day. Do you have a pocket chain on your wallet? No. Oh, you need one. No. Pocket chain, vest, leather vest. Yeah. yeah. Go some Sons of Anarchy style. Um, Only if, if you do that, you should put the most ridiculous patches on. Yeah. Like I, I, I found one on... Uh, on Amazon that said International Muff Divers Association, <laughs> you know, you should just fill it with a bunch of nonsense. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I also have, like, I don't look out of place at a hippie concert either, and those people are not as likely, at least in my mind, to be carrying. That's interesting, because that's very true, man. Yeah. Your aesthetic falls right in between biker and hippie, and it, you could go either way. Yeah. And they're completely opposite types of people. That's weird, man. That is weird. What is it? The long hair? The beard? The beard. Um... Uh, 
The fatness, maybe. Maybe the fatness. <clears throat> I don't know. Although I'm still keto. They've been... How long has it been? Two weeks at this point? A little over two weeks? Good for you, man. Yeah. It's not easy to do. I haven't weighed myself, so I don't know. Two weeks Two weeks is a good time. I, I would weigh... If, for me, like if I... I'm not interested in weighing okay. myself. Oh, good. Good. Probably in a month. Maybe I'll weigh myself in a month. Yeah, but you don't really know where you started if you don't get on there. I have a vague okay. idea of where okay. I started, right. yeah. Yeah. I don't. I didn't like weigh myself the day that I started, but I had weighed myself fairly recently. Yeah, if you weigh yourself too much, it'll drive you nuts. It's just yeah. like if you, if you, you know, like today anyway. If you check the stock market every day, you, you're you're going to pull your hair out of your out of your head. So I've all, so I've been abstaining from the carbohydrates and the sugars. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Also been abstaining from the marijuanas. You know what? That also marijuana. That might be something that uh, connects the hippies and the bikers. I don't know if oh, bi- yeah, bikers are stoners, but they seem like they're oh, definitely. Yeah. Some of them, for They're sure. definitely drinkers. Yeah. So you stopped smoking marijuana. How long has it been? That's been almost a month. Okay. And I'm at a point now where I was kind of like weighing, am I going to stop forever? Am I going to start again at some point? And I'm at a point now where I know I'm definitely not stopping forever. Yeah? Um, I, I love it, man. <laughs> like, I don't, uh, it, I don't feel... Uh, an overwhelming desire, like, man, I need to at all. So I know I don't have an addiction problem. Yeah. I mean, you know, not that addiction with weed is really that big of an issue anyways, but um, so I, I know that I have control over it. It's not a big deal, but there's like a magic about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I do. Yes. I know you know. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, I just don't want that to be gone. I think I need to maybe adjust my relationship with it yeah um you, but I, it's not going to be gone forever do you remember for sure. do you remember when graham hancock i was thinking oh, about okay that, well, yeah. we should definitely talk about that a little bit yeah um so i was something else i wanted to say about that uh well i think it's even though you said you know having an addiction to marijuana is like a kind of small potatoes in the world of drugs um but it is important to to point out that there definitely is a component of uh I don't know if you call it um, addictive, but it's it's habit forming. It's it, you know it's it, it, there's some physiological dependence. It, I don't know that it's as bad as like cigarettes, but it's definitely not. Probably for but. me, I would say I don't have I don't feel anyways any kind of physiological dependence on it. I don't feel that at all. Um, now, I don't know what what you would call it a psychological dependence. Yeah. Maybe that a little bit um, because. You know, it's like I'm sitting there, I'm bored, I don't really have anything to do. It would just, I'd be like, man, it'd be nice if I could, you know, smoke a J right now. Um, yeah. But. So what, what the, when you talk about the magic, um, what comes to my mind is the childlike way of looking at the world where everything is more fascinating. Everything's filled with more Potential. I don't know what to call it, but there's a way that the kids see the world and that adults love. That's why we love to like watch kids play and, and talk. And it's why we like smile when kids are failing to pronounce words correctly and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like um, we love we love watching kids <clears throat> uh, because they because they're not beaten down like we are. They see the world as it is. It's full of mystery and magic and, and, and interest and intrigue. And if you smoke pot and you don't overdo it you can be right in that place again that the kids are and it, it, it you know it's like 
you it's something that you miss. It's something that once you realize, like if you're if you have kids or or uh, or around kids after a while, um, you know, after a long time of not being a kid yourself, you recognize there's something really really valuable about it, and it, and it seems like it's gone forever because you're an adult now because you got your big boy pants on because you got responsibilities and you can't joke around and you you know at least not as much and you know there's some stifling things about being an adult, but if you smoke a little weed. Under the right circumstances, you can get back to that magic, and it's so important. It's so important for like almost like in a psychedelic way of resetting the way that you see the world. You know, I'm not saying that it's uh, that it's gonna you smoke a little weed once and suddenly the world's forever magical, but it does give you a window back to that, and you can start to appreciate that again. And I think that's super important. Yeah, uh, I agree. I think um, it definitely helps. Me, when I'm using it the right way, it definitely helps me be in the moment. You know, I'm not thinking about a bunch of other stuff. Uh, You know, I'm not concerned with not even I was going to say trivial things, but sometimes it helps you not be concerned with things that are not necessarily trivial. But sometimes you just need to not think about those. Yes. Sometimes you need to be in the moment um, experiencing. Um, And I just think... uh, I'm going to take a nice long break from it, mm-hmm. um, but it's it'll be back for sure. And so, I think when I do come back, I'm going to like go deep. Oh, Jesus. Not not like on a regular basis, but that time when the I... The first time? I'm going to oh, go deep. That's a great idea. Yeah. That's a great idea. You should. Yeah. <laughs> but, maybe, maybe even do a combination um, edible smoking situation. Just, just take the whole thing up a, a couple of notches. Um, let's talk about Graham Hancock because you said I fucking love Graham Hancock. Me too, man. man. That guy's the best. He's the he's a national treasure. Yeah, Graham Hancock. Um, but he did. He had that uh that interesting episode on Rogan where he talked about his smoking habit, which for him was uh he was doing a bunch Every of every day. Yeah, but he was doing a bunch of those vaporizers. Remember, he had he was using those vaporizers. And he said he couldn't get him in the UK, so he bought like a shit ton of them and had them shipped to him, and they're expensive because he was smoking so much every day, all day, and he wanted to do it the safest way possible. And apparently, vaporizer is um, supposed to be that. So that's how he was doing it. Like vape pens? No, vaporizer. Like an actual like, like a big, unit. Like a big yeah. balloon, yeah, filled up with smoke. And then he would, you know, that's how he would do it. And I he's, heard those things are cool. I never. You never volcano. tried one. The volcano, yeah, yeah, that's that's the one too. That's the one he was no, talking about. I never about. tried one. I never, yeah, I never, I never seen one. I don't think. Um, I don't think I've seen one either, aside from on the internet. You did have one, I thought. I thought once. Not a not, not a volcano, but you had. one. Yeah, vaporizer. I did have a vaporizer. It didn't work that well. Uh, it was it was okay. Yeah, but yeah. I've also I've also had like a, you know, there's a vaporizer. It's like a, a heating. It's like a box that's got a heating element in it and a knob that you can adjust the heating element, mm. and then you hook. Like a hose that's got a little glass aperture over it, you know, you just like slip it over the heating unit nice. or the heating element, and then you do it that way. That that thing worked pretty well. Oh, okay, but I mean, you're kind of. I like to be able to. I don't know, not be like, like if you're smoking out of a bong or a bowl, you just like pick it up, set it down, you're moving around. Yeah, I guess it's the same thing for that, but I don't know. For some reason, I just feel more locked into place when I'm doing it. Oh, for sure. That way, for sure. Um, so back to Graham for, for a second. So he was smoking every day and, um, remember he went to the Amazon mm-hmm. and did ayahuasca mm-hmm. and that was the crazy story where Graham talks about seeing this woman that a lot of people say that they see a, a woman character, a snake goddess or something like that. 
he sees this woman in the ayahuasca experience and she confronts him about his marijuana smoking. And it's not like she lectured him. He didn't explain it like that. I don't even know that there were words exactly. Mm -hmm. But the feeling he got was like he was being confronted by this unhealthy... And you know how Graham talks too. He's like the, the medicinal allies or whatever whatever yeah. he calls them. What does he call them? I uh, forget. The pl pl like plant allies yeah, or something, something like, like that. Yeah, something like that, yeah. So, but, but, he, but he has this respect for the power of the plant and for the spirit of the plant, for the sentience of the plant and the magic that's within the plant. He has great respect for that. And he thought that, that, that the ayahuasca goddess was telling him that he was abusing the, the privilege or the honor of, of having this relationship with marijuana. And he stopped smoking yep. cold Turkey for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, and then started again on the Joe Rogan experience. <laughs> Until Joe convinced him to smoke, yeah. yeah. But he said the same thing you said. He said his relationship, he noticed through the ayahuasca experience, he came to understand that his relationship with marijuana was 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 haywire. It was wrong. It, was, it, it wasn't how it was meant to be. And he had this overwhelming psychological um, uh, influence to stop. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. It is. What do you make of it? Um... I could definitely see how that would happen. You know, having had DMT experiences myself, I can definitely see how you could derive something like that from a DMT experience and how it would be, like, compelling. It would be compelling, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's, I don't know. I've never, you know, I've never done ayahuasca. Well, tell, then tell I'd me like this, to. Kyle. Tell me, what, what do you think the relationship is that's, Correct, at least for you. What do you think that looks like if you could do it right? I would like to do it only... So, you know, if I go to a concert or something, mm -hmm. I would like to use it then. Yep, yep. Um, uh, you know, do, just things like that. And also, uh, when I'm feeling creative, when I want to do something, uh, I think it's great for that sort of thing. Uh, I would like to do it then. When you said creative, are you referring to like guitar? Cause yeah, that, um, it, I, in my experience, it definitely helps with that. Mm -hmm. For some reason, I don't know how to explain it, but I just feel like I was a better guitar player when I was high. I wonder if you could feel it more or if you can predict it better. You know what I mean? Something. <clears throat> so that Both of those, it's hard to describe why I feel like, you know, like, uh, what am I trying to say? It's hard to give like a, a detailed, like definite, nailed down reason of why I feel like it was better. But both of those things that you just said, they they that they kind resonates. of fits. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's funny because because that's one of the things Graham said. He said that he was smoking so much because it helped him with his writing. Mm -hmm. And if that's, he, that's actually what I was thinking. About. Yeah. Um, so I, I've had some moments like that where where I've been able to write. And think in ways that are a little bit un a little bit unusual, so I can appreciate that. Although I don't think I've I don't think I've experimented enough with that. That might be something worth doing in the future. Um, so I, I can understand that. So, so the relationship, the proper relationship to any sort of medicinal ally or whatever he wants to call him, mm -hmm. is uh, is it is something that's done with respect, sparingly, to enhance your creativity and your enjoyment of creative things. Yeah. Another time that I would like to use it is like ritualistically. Ooh, yeah. I think it's uh, it but, lends itself but, to that. But sort what's of thing. the difference between going to a concert 
and 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 having the music intention, I guess. So I think that's I think that's more of a problem with with ritual, like because nowadays ritual's so dead and dry. It's not like it was in the pagan days, which yeah. I, which I think is probably what appeals to you. Um, this connection with nature and this connection with yourself and this you know this unusual state of being that you know drug consciousness can create um, and going along with the music which is all very often a part of ritual it just seems like it's really similar it's almost like going to an outdoor concert is like our modern day version of your pagan pagan tree you know sure. grove rituals you know yeah I don't know if is the intention different um I think it depends on what your intention is, you know, like if you're just going to a concert to have fun and listen to some music, that's not, you know, you're, you don't have that sacred, um, what's the word we were using? Uh, Ritualistic. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's not really, it, it just boils down to what you intend, you know? I, um, I agree. But do you think like a kid who goes to a concert and doesn't have any intention of having any sort of spiritual experience goes to a concert, uh, smokes some pot, for a couple of seconds, loses himself in in the crowd, in the music. It has this out of body experience, and comes back. To, you know, a second later, it's just like I'm having the best time. Yeah. Do you think that person is not having the same one with the universe type of inclination that you would be having in a religious ceremony? I'm not saying that it's always going to happen, but yeah. I just wonder if it like sneaks in there. Yeah, I mean, I think that that is pretty much the same thing, but, um, no, yeah, I think that that is pretty much the same thing, but I just don't think that, like, concerts should be the only way that people do that, you yeah. know? Like, I think that people should make time, and, uh, and there is also something about the, uh, like, you know, taking, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not mass, but you know, like the uh, communion, like oh, the, oh, the yeah. taking of the sacraments, yeah. the the ritual of it. I yeah. think that there's something to that. There is something to that. Yeah, I don't know how to put it. I don't know what to say. Like, I think that rituals, religious rituals, are reenactments of mystic experience. I believe mm -hmm. that. I believe if you, you know, when you do communion or any of the religious stories you hear, um, that are out there, like a burning bush or or whatever, even the Great Flood, they, those stories are mystical stories to me. Um, I'm losing my train of thought. Can't remember where I was going down that alley. Mm, mm. Mystical. Where we start? Ritual with ritual. like communion. Yeah, I lost it. No, that, that was <laughs> the best of them. Um, um, but I oh oh, I'm sorry. I know no, what it good. was. It's just um, there's been moments. I'll tell you what it was. There was a moment when I went to Catholic church uh, on with the uh, with the Polish family that we that were were mutually uh, uh, connected to from our past. Mm -hmm. I went to a Catholic church one time um, on Christmas Eve for midnight mass, and it was my first time ever going to a Catholic church. And it was downtown in a big cathedral, and it was like a bishop from wherever came in, and it was a big deal. And there was lots of people there, and it was a different experience. Catholic Church is a different experience from Protestant Church, and it's got that ritual component to it. Yeah, that, much more. That's missing in our our religion. In any case, um, 
I remember the uh, the bishops walking down the the in between the pews with the with the uh, incense thing and the in the um, uh, the choir is singing, but you can't see them because they're up above you, back away, and it's like this ethereal music echoing through the cathedral and the smoke and the smells and um, you know the ch- it was like a you know even the prayers they sing them you know like a Muslim would or a Jew would. In, in the Catholic high mass, they sing the prayers, you know, our father, they, like there's, there's a cadence to it. Yeah. And so there's all this stuff going on and it, it brings this feeling. At, and I remember when it happened because they, they were carrying this Bible to the altar with the incense and there was a whole entourage, you know, like those, what do they call those young kids that help the priests with the. Choir boys, whatever they're the, yeah, yeah. they're 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 the ones in, in, in the most danger of di- being diddled. Yes, yeah. the, the altar boys. This is whole entourage, right? And they're wearing the robes and the silk. And I remember seeing the Bible come down and placed on the altar, and I just had this feeling evoked. It rose up in me. It was this mystical feeling of the significance of the object, and that is hard to explain, but it made me feel. made me feel boy connected more to god more to the mysteries it it was it was like the embodiment of a mystery Mm -hmm. and i was staring at it 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 wasn't like a figment of my imagination it was an object there and it was all covered in gold and everything it's so symbolic everything is so filled with meaning and symbols and like it just it your spirit responds to it that's a hippie thing to say but that i don't know how else to put it yeah. That is what ritual does. And it gave me an interest in Catholicism for a little while. Yeah, I still have an interest in Catholicism, to be honest with you. I think uh, Catholicism, they, you know, Protestant religions, Protestant versions of Christianity tend to like really lean into the literal interpretations. Not all of them. Yeah. And not all of the people who are part of Protestant, you know, some people get that it, it's symbolic and, you know, but uh, f- I would say for the most part, they tend to lean more into the literal interpretation, yeah. which I've, you know, talked about at length on this podcast, I think is just dumb. I don't think it makes any sense to interpret the Bible or any of those texts literally, yeah. you know? Um, so, yeah, I think, and, and I think that Catholic people tend to understand that more. Um, yeah. And... Yeah, yeah. No, I, I like that. I agree with you, man. Um, so when I was living back in Columbus, and I, this happened, this was all back then, um, I would drive to work in the morning, and uh, like now I, I'm super into podcasts and audiobooks, but back then I was like, you know, I would radio, sometimes radio. I turn on AM radio, and they had a Catholic station, um, 610 AM or whatever it was, um, Sacred Heart Radio, I think that's what it was called. And they would have these, so this is what was interesting to me, they would have Q&A. So you would call in. You'd have a regular Catholic. He calls in, and he's talking to a priest or, or even like maybe even a higher-up um, you know, priest uh, about whatever questions they had. And they, they, they would take calls from non-Catholics. So you would have Catholics calling in and non-Catholics calling in, and they used different languages. Like Catholics and non-Catholics, they didn't even speak in the same language. The Catholics would call in, and they would ask these nitpicky questions. And this is what I don't like about Catholicism. They would ask these nitpicky questions about, well, most of them were about divorce. Mm-hmm. I want to get a divorce, um, but 
the, the, apparently the Pope has to grant me permission to annul my marriage or, or I'm going to be living in sin if I remarry and my kids aren't going to, you know, it's like there's all these rules that are fucking made up. Yeah. And that's what the Catholics are worried about. They're worried about all these little dogmatic rules that aren't in the Bible, that aren't in mystic experience, that are man-made as fuck. And then you have these non-Christian, uh, non-Catholics calling in asking interesting questions because they don't understand it. They're like, you know, what, what does this mean? Why do you, why do you say Eucharist and not communion? What, you know, um, you know, what's the deal with the transubstantiation? You know, they're asking like really interesting questions. That's what got me hooked. I was like, you know, I wanted to ask those questions. I wanted to understand it more because after going to midnight mass, I thought there was something there, you know, Mm -hmm. there's something there that's missing from the churches I've been to. Yeah, I agree. Um, Have you ever heard anybody say that Roman Catholicism is a corrupted version of Catholicism and the more pure versions of it are like the Eastern Orthodox versions that those that the original Christians who followed Jesus that the Eastern Orthodox is much closer to what that was. See, that's interesting because I wonder, like I know there was a lot of diversity in early Christianity and none of those groups called themselves Catholic. It wasn't, you know, it took a, a while. But my understanding, and I could be totally wrong, and this is embarrassing if I don't, if this is not the case, but I thought the Eastern and Western Catholic churches broke off when the Byzantine Empire um, and the Roman Empire split. They split the Roman Empire to East and West. And the Byzantine church, I thought, was the origin of the Orthodox Greek, Orthodox um, Russian, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm completely wrong, but I thought that was the divide. It was between the Eastern and Western that might be. Yeah. That very well could be. And you, but you can see elements because the Eastern Church was in was the capital that they were headquartered in Turkey. Yeah. Right. So that's the Middle East, you know, and then the Western or the kind of. the Western was in Rome. Yeah. And that was like the heart of you know the Western world. Yeah. Um, you would imagine the influences on the religion would be very different in those areas, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like how does Christianity develop in? Turkey with their history versus Italy with their history seems like a big difference. Yeah. Um, so what, I really don't know. what's the evidence for that? What, 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 what oh, do, I don't, what I do don't people know. point to that you don't know? Well, I think one thing they point to is the Pope. They don't have a Pope. They don't have this one guy who changes every, you know, 50 years and is yeah. like <clears throat> responsible for, you know, the Pope, you know, like the entire religion, the entire outlook of Roman Catholicism can change. Like when this guy dies and this guy takes up the mantle, everything can be fucking different because he's the vicar of God. He's, he speaks for God. Yeah. So if the, he contradicts the thing that this guy said, it's all different now. Um, yeah, so that's interesting. Yeah. And like we talked about this before, but when the Pope speaks ex cathedra, mm-hmm. it's the word of God. So if he wants to change the whole religion, willy-nilly he can just speak ex cathedra and there's no arguments to be had i'm i'm kind of on board with that version of uh that gripe i guess of eastern catholicism eastern orthodox with uh yeah that's that's interesting so let me ask you this question because there's something important with christianity and i don't know if it goes back to the beginning but definitely is part of the catholic origins and it's about apostolic succession that's what they call it so the bishops the people that run the catholic church they're supposed to be each one is in line inheriting the job of the um, disciples, of the apostles. So when, when one of the apostles dies, another bishop it takes his place. It's like in Buddhism when the Dalai Lama dies, there's another Dalai Lama gets born to take his place. And that's where the authority comes from. 
So the reason why the Catholics believe they're the universal church and they're the ones that get to claim the, the only true Christianity is because their leaders all come in line from the apostles. Mm. Now, the Pope is, the Pope is special because, because he doesn't go back to the apostles. He goes back to Jesus Christ, right? So the Pope is the Jesus Christ alive on earth today. And you know, I don't know if a Catholic would say it exactly that way, but that's, that's the way I understand it. Yeah. Now, if the Orthodox Church doesn't believe that part of it, if they say, you know, bishops are, uh, bishops, are bishops, they're all like the, the successors of the apostles, there's no successor to Jesus, not until the second coming or whatever you want to believe. Um, so that would be interesting, man. I, I don't know much about the Orthodox Church. I don't know much either, but I've definitely grown more interested in it over the last couple I don't know, maybe a year or so. Uh, it's becoming a big thing in right-wing circles. Not even... I mean, the news would have you believe that it's like far right-wing. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think just in right-wing circles, it's becoming, um, I don't know, a topic of interest. In what way? Like the, the conservatives are leaning leaning towards preferring the orthodox approach? Yeah. Interesting. That would be interesting. And And, you know... The Eastern Orthodox is one of those, is the Russian Orthodox Church. Yeah. So it's all, I mean, just like in the media, it's all tied up with white supremacy. Like the these people are interested in that because, you know, I, I don't know. So I, somehow Russia is tied with white supremacy now. So, yeah, that's fucking stupid. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, absolutely stupid. So I do know, and I, can't, I think it's the Greek Orthodox Church. I think those people are the only other church where Catholics will let them take communion. Catholics, oh, really? Catholics will let Greek Orthodox take communion at a Catholic church. Weird. And they recognize the bishops of the or- Greek Orthodox church. Hmm. So even though they're not part of the Catholic church, they're like somehow, they got special permission to be a'ight. Yeah. That's, That's funny. Weird. It's weird. Those Greeks, man. <laughs> John Stamos. John, what a handsome guy. Yeah, John man. Stamos. Not even fair. Um, uh, he, remember... Eddie Izzard was yeah. talking about Catholicism. He's like, they follow the teachings of Cathol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Eddie Izzard, man. That yeah. guy's underrated. Eddie Izzard. There's definitely something to ritual, man. There's definitely something to it. Yep. Um, but so, yeah, that just go back to how we originally started talking about that. I do think that, like, if you had gone to that midnight mass and you had talked a little bit of a, you oh know. my God. There's like, I don't know. It just like, that's what I, that's kind of really what I meant by the magic of it, of mm. marijuana. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely, that would have been an interesting experiment. Another one would have been uh, like a microdose. Yeah. And sit in there with the music and the, and every, the glinting gold and the smoke. It seems like something Duncan Trussell would do. Yeah. Micro, not even microdose, take a big dose a of acid big old and then dose. go to midnight mass. Man, that would be, that would be interesting. Yeah, for sure. That might be worth trying. Might be. <laughs> um... Yeah, I don't know. Um, but I, I, all of that stuff that we just talked about, like being positives of marijuana, marijuana definitely has a dark side too. And all of that stuff that it heightens that we just talked about, it can also dampen all of that stuff. Yes. It can also like push it down and just make you, I don't know. Um, a zombie? Yeah, say? exactly. Yeah. That's, a, that's a fine fine way yeah. to describe it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, that's what I want to avoid. That's, uh, I, I, it wasn't even why I started taking the break, but now that I've, I'm on the break, I'm seeing oh. 
this is, you know, I don't want to do that. It's funny you say that, man, because you and I are close to the same age and we have a some similar experience with, with marijuana, although years goes back further. Um, I've had some of the same exact thoughts and those were some of the concerns. It was like, <clears throat> there, it's very possible to smoke and then to be really unable to f- feel emotion. You know, it's like everything is um, fine. And that's good. You know, that, that relieves anxiety, you know, everything being fine. Yeah. But it also, like, you don't have shit to say. You don't have anything to contribute. I think uh, another way to say it that makes it seem, it brings out that negative connotation is that it almost makes it like everything is insignificant. Like, everything yeah. doesn't no doesn't matter. Yes. So. And there are times when that's, when that's medicine. Sure. And there are times when that is preventing you from living your life. Mm-hmm. And I feel that way you know, I've have felt that way from time to time lately. So it's interesting to hear you say that, man. Yeah. Huh. I, I definitely, I'm glad that I took the break. Uh, another reason that I'm glad is I think I'm going to switch jobs again. I, I'm not, I'm not digging. Um, You're not digging the rah, rah parties every week. Yeah, dude. And that is like a main part of why I'm not digging it. It's because I want to have a job where I can advance. And I don't think I'm going to is if I'm not this, like, Rah, rah, like people. Okay. So I go to a place, I do their pest control. You know, I like sweep all the cobwebs out of their eaves, you know, yeah. use an insecticidal dust in all the cracks and crevices, spray, uh, put down granular bait. Um, and then the last thing we're supposed to do is, you know, acts of kindness, which on its own, when you're a big corporation is kind of fucking corny. Um, but it's fine. I'm not, I'm fine with that. I I'm fine with bringing somebody's trash can up. Like if it's trash day and I'm there and it's empty, I'll bring it up for you. That's That's totally fine. Yeah. Uh, what I don't like is these people who bring it up. So we have like a, uh, a group chat app so Mm -hmm. that we can all stay in contact because you're all by yourself, you know? Yeah. Um, and these people, they bring it up. They snap a selfie of themselves with the trash can, oh. and then they post it, and they're like, "Doing my good deeds." It's not fuck you, just do it. A hundred percent, a hundred percent agree. I hate it so much, man. Now, what is it about that that a good deed isn't a good deed if you're if you're trying to get credit for it? What is that? Because I I agree I with you, but what is that? I mean, I I wouldn't even say that it's not still a good deed, but the only reason you're posting it is because you want advancement from it. Uh, and I want advancement because I'm a good employee. I feel because the I same do, Because way. I'm doing my job, a, you know, efficiently and offering value. Yeah. I, I do. You know, it's funny. It's like you and I work in very different types of jobs. I feel exactly the same way. Yeah. I feel like, um, and it's strange that this is still the case today. But if I don't kiss the ass of the corporate overlords, that I'm never going to get the uh, the big opportunities. Yeah. I feel that way, mm-hmm. and it, you know, at times it makes it makes me wonder about you know maybe finding a, a better place or maybe working for myself or something. You know. Yeah, I still want to do that. I just uh, I had other motivations for doing it at the time when I started my LLC, and I just wasn't prepared enough like I didn't have all the capital that I needed and yeah. it just wasn't really a, a realistic thing at yeah. the moment but I, I mean I have the LLC now so yeah that's cool um eventually you know I I, I want that to be the case and and then when it's your thing 
the raw rock kind of makes sense. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And if it was your thing and the raw rock makes sense and you hire people, you kind of want them to feel the same way. You know, you want them to be on board. Kind of. I don't want them to like kiss ass though. I just want yeah. you to, I want you to care and do a good job. That's, that's really all I want. You don't have to suck up to me. Mm. You don't have to brown nose. Just do a good job. See, if you don't do a good job, you're fucking gone. Yeah. Yeah. But if you do, <laughs> that's fine. You don't have to be like a super, uh, I just, yeah, man, it so, drives me nuts. You know what it looks like to me? It looks like a conversation we've had many, many times before. Um, it's, it's like a manipulation. You know, if I'm being a team player and waving the banner and taking photos of it and sh- sh- stick it in everybody's faces, you know, to to set myself apart from you, um, oh man, every time I every time I start going down a down a path like that, I I I go too far down the thread and I <laughs> lose my track. But uh, um, but I think it's a manipulation. You know, it's like if I'm doing that to to get brownie points from the boss what I'm doing is I'm trying to manipulate him and I'm, and I'm trying to set myself apart from my peers by manipulating them. It's, yeah. it reminds me of like nepotism, you know, something like that. Yeah. Uh, where, and that and it's, it's, it's like a <clears throat> easier for a boss to notice when somebody's putting it in your face. Um, when the time comes to give a promotion or a raise or something to the easy thing is just to say, Oh, you know, that, that person's been, you know, I've noticed, right? I've noticed this person's been doing, doing a bunch of stuff and, and it's easier to just reward that person than it is to take a step back and mm-hmm. say, who's really doing good work? Yeah. That's harder to do because then you have to look under the hood. So I think that might be part of it. Yeah. Laziness. You sure. Know? Um, yeah, I definitely, that makes sense. And I think that there's some of that going on. Yeah. Um, that's not my only complaint though. I have other complaints about... Okay, so if I go to a house and, well, uh, first of all, they harp on sales all the time. There's two things that they harp on all the time. Completions, getting the amount of jobs in a day done that we need to be on, on you know, the right timeline. So Mm -hmm. we're not falling behind. Yep. Which makes sense. Um, But they also complain about sales all the time. We're supposed to be out there trying to make sales. You know, selling, uh, a person who has a pest control service, selling them other services. Um, and okay. So most of the time when I go to these places, the people are not home. So if I'm trying to sell, I'm trying to sell through text message, which it happens. It works sometimes, but it would be much better if it was face to face. Um, and also most of the houses I service, they have more than one service already. So Mm. they, they're like, no, I'm covered. You know, I don't need any more of your bullshit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it just, I, I don't, I mean, I just wish that that wasn't, I, I want to be selling, you know, like I could make a lot more money if I was selling, but it's just not like the opportunity's not there so much. And it, when they're complaining about completions all the time too, it's like, I've got to bang these fucking things out, you know, like I don't have time to be sitting there talking to them. Um, so that's a complaint. Uh, and just like other metrics that they use to, uh, to gauge success that like, on the surface, they make sense, but when you like dig into it a little bit, a lot of it is not in my control. Like if I go to a place and I service them, and then that person cancels, that counts against me. Aww. And I can understand if I go there and I do a super shitty job, and they're like, "No, I'm not paying for this shit anymore." Yeah. But if they're just, like, the economy's not doing well right now, so people are going to start canceling. You yeah. know? Yeah. So that's not my fault. No. 
No. So yeah, I just like I, I'm not I'm not feeling it. I think I'm gonna be looking yeah. for something else. There's there's a lot of that same sort of thing in my world, man. Yeah, I'm sure it's everywhere. Um, so that I means still a really good time to be looking for work because, well, because a lot of people are are still have openings and a lot of people still don't want them. You know, I'm nervous about it though. Like, uh, part of me thinks that I should just stay where I am because. You know, then I'll have some sort of seniority, although I, I've not been at this company for very long, so yeah. it's not a whole lot of it. But I just, I, I'm worried about the economy and how things are going, man. Yeah. I think that things could get bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you think about things that are like extra, things that aren't necessary that people spend money on, those are the kind of things that will, like you say, that'll start to uh, start to gonna go, by, go by the wayside. Yeah. So you might want to find a business that's more, you know, necessary i don't know yeah but if i were you i wouldn't quit i would just obviously oh, I, yeah. I would just look around and if another yeah, if a better sure. opportunity comes up i'd put in my notice and do do it right but I, I can't wait to quit because i'm going to tell them exactly how i feel about their like just the culture of that place i mean i'm not gonna i actually like the the guys who are my managers who are in the office in the area yeah they're nice guys they're 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 cool it's the subordinates and they're and I guess the one call the one thing that I would complain about the management is that they do foster that a little bit, that kind of suck up culture. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it would be I think it'd be awesome for you to lay it out to them like that when you were, when you were putting in your notice or whatever, uh, in a prof- in a professional sure. way. Yeah, I'm not you know, be like fuck yeah. you guys. Just but. say look, look. There, you know, there's a couple things that kind of rubbed me the wrong way that 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 had me looking for other jobs, and I, just for the benefit of your your business, and I you know I respect you. I want you to know this is how I felt, and just tell them. Yeah, you know, and he might they might be shocked. You know, yeah, a lot of times that's the case. People kiss the bo- the boss's ass so much, nobody ever tells them. You know, it, you, this approach kind of sucks. Nobody ever wants to say that to your, their boss. Yeah, you know. But yeah, that's uh, so that's uh, that's another uh, reason why I'm gonna be taking an extended break from weed because you know might get tested. Yeah, yeah, which just fucking irritates me, man. Yeah, especially like I don't have much respect for. The legality of things, things being legal, doesn't matter to me. Yeah. But at least I, I can understand it from the perspective of an employer. You know, you got a lot, you know, you got a lot of responsibility. You've got a lot of, um, you got a lot invested. You don't want to just like piss that away. Um, I still think it's stupid. What I do on my own time is, you know, as long as I'm not getting high in the truck. Right. Right. Uh, you know, uh, it's none of your business. Um, but you know, on the road we're going to, it seems like weed is eventually going to be legal in most States, if not the entire country, right. you know, soon at that point, I just don't understand how it's any of your business. I can go home and get fucking drunk as hell. Yeah, I know. And it's no big deal. I know. And that's way more likely to have you affect your, your job performance the next day than pot. Yeah. So here's the thing that popped in my head while you were talking that I think is funny. This has come up before. It's a conservative point, but it's an, it's a good one. Um, we've all accepted this drug testing with work as a condition of employment. We've all accepted it now, and it's like you you kind of expect it, and nobody objects. And if you did, it, it wouldn't matter. You just wouldn't get hired. And it's like you don't have a choice. Um, and yet, so I guess what I'm saying is, if you want to be gainfully employed, by law you have to be sober in certain ways. You have to be sober, but if you decide, you know what. I just would rather not contribute to society. I'd, I'd rather the government support me and I'll just not work and get and get uh, benefits. No drug testing. Yeah. Those people can be as high as they want 
and they're getting government cheese and and food stamps and uh, you know disability income and whatever else that whatever else they can manage to get. Those people they they can be as fucked up as they want, but people that want to be re- that want to be responsible and contribute to society have to be sober. What the fuck, man? Doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Um, yeah, and that is a big like, especially older person conservative. You know, yeah. they they like to they really love to bring that up. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't. I definitely see how it makes sense. I don't necessarily agree. I think that it makes more sense to just not hold the people who are contributing to that standard. Um, you know, uh, and I also think it makes sense to not really give handouts to people at all. Yeah, I mean, so. if if it if it wasn't a condition of employment for everybody who's doing the right thing socially, um, then I wouldn't. I don't think I would object so much to people getting sure. government government benefits doing it. But um, it just seems like the standard. It's a double standard. It is. It's for a double sure. standard. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking government. That's man. all. I, about all I got on the weed thing, though. <laughs> it took us it took us like thirty minutes to talk about weed. Yeah, <laughs> it's a big topic. So a uh, couple things. Um, I was able to get the podcast um, feed linked up to some other distribution outlets that we oh, had yeah? we hadn't been using before, and it was like small time stuff like TuneIn Radio and um, like a new Samsung one and so just some others that were they were advertising. I set up TuneIn. Oh, did you? Yeah. Yeah. So I set up I set up some, some others, and then I noticed the I never I didn't expect it to make a difference, but the listener listener numbers started going up. Nice. Yeah, it's like, it's like small time. It seems to me like small time. Distribution outlet. Anyway, I just thought that was cool. That is cool. Yeah, it just took a couple clicks, and now more people are listening to us. Oh yeah, we uh, we should ask people to start liking, commenting, and subscribing. You know, <laughs> we can do that. Yeah, like yeah. just uh, if you listen, if you listen on a regular basis, like that. You know, like it on whatever you're doing, or subscribe, or follow. You know, on Spotify, you follow. Hit the follow button. That'll help, you know. That's true. Yeah. Just do it, you know. Help us out a little bit. Yeah, we never asked you before. Yeah, and you know, if you can, if you can leave a comment, if you're listening to it on Apple, the Apple Podcast app, leave a review. Leave a review, you guys. Yeah, let us know. It just takes a couple minutes, and it'll help out supremely. Boom. Yeah, that's what, it. What are these videos you sent me, Kyle? Um. Okay, so the second one I sent you is the one that I said on Twitter that we would watch. Oh, and that kind of, so, you know, everything that's going, have you seen the stuff that's going on with Elon Musk right now? Uh, there's just lots of things going on, but what, what's the newest thing? Uh, he got me too'd. Oh, oh, tell, tell me about it. What happened? I, maybe I know. So they, they're saying something about business he paid insider. Off a, he paid off a, yeah, a, he, a flight attendant or something. Yeah. So, okay. uh, it wasn't even the flight attendant who came out and said this because she supposedly signed a non-disclosure yeah, agreement. Yeah. Um, it's the friend, you know, a friend of this person who this supposedly happened to. Mm-hmm. Um, supposedly, she was a flight attendant on the SpaceX private jet and she was giving Elon Musk a massage mm-hmm. and he exposed himself to her and it, like suggested that he would buy her a horse if she you know, perform sexual favors. Hmm, okay. Um, and, you know, I know that we're supposed to believe women and all that, but yeah. here I am just like, I don't know, man. It seems, to me, it seems like you've got this guy who for a long time was kind of like the darling, you know, of of everyone. Absolutely. Everyone loved Elon Musk. Yeah, especially the liberals. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's creating electric cars. He's reducing the carbon footprint. Not really, if you dig into it, but... Um, 
you know, it seems like they all they liked him a lot. Yeah. Uh, and then he starts saying things and doing things that they don't like. And all of a sudden, he's a racist. He's a sexual assaulter. You know, yeah. I, I was funny because I was just telling my dad the same thing. We were driving to to my grandma's house is uh, from their house is an hour drive, so we were driving together talking. And I said, you know, Elon Musk has got this like kind of European sensibility because he's from South Africa. He's you know, I'm not saying he's European or that South Africa is like Europe, but he, as an American, you kind of throw him into that 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 pool, mm-hmm. and we think of. Um, Europeans as being more progressive. I'm not going to say liberal because it doesn't mean liberal anymore. They're way more progressive and way more socialist than us, and so they're kinder and their societies are better. That's the liberal. That's the the American liberal angle, and he falls in, in to my into my mind. He falls into this sort of European sensibility. Plus, he's a champion of the environment because of the batteries that he's making for not just Tesla but for people to have power in Africa and, you know, sending up satellites to give, you know, internet to the Ukrainians. And he's like, this guy is, is, he should be for all, and he, he came from Silicon Valley. He was one of the founders of PayPal. Mm-hmm. You know, this guy is part of the liberal elite, part of the fabric of the progressive world. And they threw him directly under the bus. Yep. The guy that's building high-speed rail in California to get people back and forth from San Diego to L.A. or whatever, that guy that's going to alleviate traffic in the in the smog in the city, the, the environmental hero, the battery man, mm-hmm. and he's and he's Satan? All of a sudden, all he had to drop do... Of a hat. It wasn't buying Twitter that started it. It was suggesting that he would make it a free speech platform, that he would, he would make it what it's meant to be. Yeah. That was all it took, and the left is just cannibalizing the man and people said before this stuff this me too stuff that the attacks were going to start coming to, from t- towards elon musk left and right and that the, politically he was they were going to try to bury him mm-hmm. and look at what we're seeing yeah it's complete madness yeah uh and so my point in, on twitter was that it reminded me of this video like this lady is the embodiment of progressivism. Uh, so yeah, we can we can watch the video. You can so pull the, it up. The second video. Yeah, the second okay. one. All right, cool. Let's try it. And, and I'll just give like a, a cursory um, ex- explanation of the video. So it's some drunk, drunk lady, and she is you know after after a night of drinking, sometimes you want some nice, you know, like a greasy food. Um, here. Sorry, he's looking. He sent me the link, but I don't have the Reddit app, and so it didn't come up properly. Oh. So technical problems. While he's doing that, okay, I'm not sure how this is gonna work. Here, let me. Okay, here I think it should. Okay, yeah, cool. you gotta you gotta unmute it. You might want to. You said I stuck your cock and you give him kebab. Sorry, she's got an accent. I'm starting it over. Leave him! Leave him! Leave him! Leave him! Leave him! She's ripping my clothes. Leave him! Leave him! She's spitting on them? Yes, she is. Yes. Oh my god. She's racist. She's racist. What? Are her titties out? Oh, you read me! You oh read me! Oh my God! You read me! What? You read me! Stop yes, doing that! She, she's breaking everything. Yeah. What in the fuck is going on here? Did you read me? 
All right, let me. I don't know how much this video is left. It's okay. not a super long video. All right, I'm just yeah, pausing yeah. it. It's half over. So, what? When it first picks up, she says, "You said if I sucked your cock, you'd give me a kebab." Oh my god. Okay. So uh the guy I don't know if he really said that or if he was clearly joking when he said it or you know what, but uh he's not giving her the kebab and she's grabbing at his shirt, like ripping his shirt, uh and well, pre- she's just super angry. Presumably she didn't she didn't give him the blowjob and was yeah. then asking for the kebab. Yeah. He seemed to be like telling her, Just go away, just man. Yeah. Um so she's assaulting him and at one point she like Let's go, and she falls on her ass. She just trips and falls yeah. flat on her ass. Yep. She gets up and she's super embarrassed about it and angry. So she pulls her tits out and says, "You raped me." <laughs> she sure did. It's she like, sure did, man. And that's what I mean about the progressive. It's like, oh, you're embarrassing us, so you raped me. You know, you yeah. you committed sexual assault. It's like that's what it, once you have crossed us, once you've embarrassed us, the knives are coming out. So, so it's it's so fucking. I mean, the anger. So the idea that you yell fire in a crowded theater and you go into jail for a long time, but you you can just yell he raped me and it's fine. Yeah. How are those different? How are those? Somebody's gonna get really hurt because of that. Yeah. You can luckily, just say that. Yeah. Luckily for this guy, it's not really much to take seriously. Although. She definitely seems drunk, and uh, she definitely seems, seems Irish to me. <laughs> is she Irish? Yeah, I, I think it's England. Oh, but, maybe. You know, that that's another thing. I think Daniel Torridon's the only good one, man. <laughs> I think there's this, there's this American ideal that everyone in England, and I've talked about this before, that they're all so smart and, and civilized and, you know, posh. No, they're fucking trash, man. A lot of them are fucking trash. A lot. Don't say, don't say them, but, but you're right. They, everybody's got their... No, I'll say them because that's how they talk about <laughs> us. Like, everyone acts like America's a bunch of fucking backwards. You know, yeah. So enough. Fuck them. Daniel Torridon's the only good one. <laughs> Um, and, uh, and, oh, uh, Daniel Torridon and, um, Eddie Izzard and Eddie Izzard. And, uh, there's that other guy that we, that I, oh man, um, the guy that wrote, um, Ricky Gervais, oh, Ricky Gervais. There's a bunch of good ones. <laughs> yeah. No, but there's the, a handful. Uh, the guy that wrote the, the coincidence of Ian McGilchrist. Oh yeah. He's I like love that dude. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Is there, um, you want to watch more of that video or is it, is yeah, that pretty well, much just, it? Okay. Just for the entertainment. Right, here, we value. here we go. Here we go. Oh, Oh my God! What? Did he pass? Oh no, she did you not. Raped you raped me. She gives him fingers. Our fridge is broken. So everything is broken in the house. Oh, you raped You raped Oh, the titties came back out. You raped me. The video is so funny. What is she? What a crazy woman. Everything is broken in my shop, yeah. Whoa. So. For the people who uh, haven't seen the video, she like kind of, she breaks the counter. The you know she's got one of the, they've got like one of those deli counters. It's a big glass front, so you can see everything that's on display. Yep. And she like rips it apart. It shatters, uh, and then she kind of like drunkenly stumbles out, gives the finger on the way out. I don't know. Takes maybe five steps out, comes back in, pulling her boobs out again. <laughs> she sure did. She sure did, man. So this is the thing. If she, if she sucked his dick and he didn't, he didn't give her the kebab. 
her reaction is like less, it's terrible, but it's less terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, but if she just went in there and, and caused a ruckus, which is what the video looks like. And she's clearly drunk. Yeah. Um, but you're, you're hundred percent right. The he raped me thing, screaming at the top of her lungs like that. That is a serious allegation. <laughs> you can't just say someone raped you cause you didn't get a kebab for free. Are you kidding me, man? I love that video. It's so fucking funny. Oh my God. I'm glad you shared that with me, but that is ridiculous. Just like the, the accent is so funny. It's like, yeah, raped me. <laughs> yeah, raped it's, me. Like, it's Y E H raped M E H. Yeah, it is. It sure is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, so that video is kind of legendary. Is it an old video? Or is it new? Um, I think it's, it's not like yesterday new or anything. It's pretty good, man. Yeah. Um, so while we're talking about uh, driving down to um, my grandma's house with my dad in the truck, and we were talking about different stuff, he said something to me about my mom's dad, right? So my 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 mom's dad passed away when I was like twenty or something, twenty one or something like that. I don't remember. I was in my twenties, mm-hmm. and uh, um, I didn't know him as a as a peer. You know, he was my grandpa, but my dad, you know, been around long enough, a long time, known him for a long time. And he said that my grandpa, and, my, and just for the audience who doesn't know, this particular grandpa of mine is a white-collared guy, you know, just beautifully coiffed hair. You know, he was like a, a Shirin salesman, so he's a really personable guy and, you know, good-looking, and he, and he dressed sharp and mm-hmm. uh, all that. Um, he didn't drink. He never, he didn't, he didn't have any, he didn't smoke, he didn't drink. But my dad said every once in a while, when the circumstances were right, my grandpa would have a, a drink. And I was like, and he, and he said, I can't remember what my dad said, but he said something like he would get funny. And I said, oh, man, what was Grandpa like buzzed? I would like to know. Oh, Tell yeah. me what Grandpa was like buzzed. This, you know, super professional looking, uh, looking dude, very classy guy, you know. Anyway, this is what he tells me. He tells me that he would get a rusty nail, so he would drink a, a one scotch drink, and that was all he needed. And then he would get bubbly and charismatic, like he was putting on his sales, his sales hat. And he would like talk to people and be real charming. And it was like, it was like fluid. It was being a little drunk, gave him like the, the energy to just put it on. And he would do that. And he said, people would really gravitate towards him and they would really like him. And it must've been what made him successful selling insurance. But then what he would do is once he reeled them in, he would turn into an asshole and he would start, <laughs> and he would start, and he would start being a dick. And I, I couldn't believe any of this. And, and I was like, he did. And my dad's like, yes. I'm like, just to fuck with him? He was like, yes. When, when your grandpa got drunk, he, you know, and again, he's just a little buzz. He had one drink, but he wasn't a drinker. So, but one drink and he would, and he would do this to people. He would charm them in. And when he got them in, he would, he would start being a dick just to see how they would respond to the, to the difference, you know? And it reminded me of this, uh, this was before your time at, at the movie theater, but it reminded me of this time when, uh, Melvin, you remember Melvin, we were yeah, with the theater. He was, uh, he was, uh, like in his twenties when we were teenagers and he was working at a movie theater with us. So, you know, whatever. But, uh, I remember my sister's friend was working there, uh, in the early days. Do you know who I, who I mean? Yes. Okay. I think so. Yeah. She worked there in the early days and she was behind the counter and Melvin walks up and he just slides up to the bar, you know, black guy smooth. He just slides up to the bar and he looks at her and, you know, this was like, she was like 16 years old, you know, and she, and she was reasonably pretty. He slides up there and he goes, my, you have the most beautiful eyes. And she just like smiles and she gets all bashful and he goes, just waits a second, just waits a breath. And he goes, it's too bad. You got a fat head. And then just walk, <laughs> and then just walks away. 
that's the kind of stuff my grandpa was doing. That's pretty funny. Yeah, man. I can't. I mean, you know, I, I, I knew your grandpa. I'm, you know, uh, and it's hard for. Yeah, I can't imagine that either. It's just so funny, man. It's just so funny, and, and I never would have known that if I hadn't had that chat with my dad on the way to what did my grandma's house. I never saw either of my grandpas, you know, intoxicated in any way, and uh, apparently both of them. I think my dad's dad more than my mom's dad, but apparently yeah. my mom's dad too would have some beers back in the day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I never saw either of that. Um, that is one, like, I, I guess I would say regret, but it's a lot of it was out of my control. Um, like with my, what I'm trying to say is I regret not knowing them as people. Exactly. That, um, that's exactly what I mean when I tell you that story. Yeah. 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 Uh, so with my mom's, or I'm sorry, with my dad's dad, he, he died when I was like, I don't know, 15, 16. So I was, I was a kid. I, you know, yeah. I didn't know who I was. I'm not going to learn who anyone else is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and my mom's dad, uh, I definitely knew him better, but there was this thing with my, my grandparents on my mom's side that they were, um, you know, my grandma more so, but they were religious, and I just feel like that created some sort of barrier to me really showing them who I was, you know? Like, I felt like um, they're not going to understand or accept. Uh, they're going to, you know... And maybe I was making more of that than I should have, but on some level, I definitely wasn't. You know, they definitely would not have been approving of a lot of aspects of my yeah. life. Um no, so. I, I get you, and I actually felt very much th like that because this particular grandpa who I'm talking about and his wife, my, my mom's folks, um, they were religious. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I got into religion as a kid, I started asking really difficult questions mm -hmm. for people who are religious. And when I became a teenager, um, we had a preacher who married into the family. <clears throat> and I would talk to him. I had these long, and we, we knew, we've known him since he, was in, since he was in high school. I've known him my whole life. So he actually married me and my wife, <clears throat> but, um, <clears throat> I would have these, <clears throat> damn, I'd have these long conversations about stuff. And I would say to him, like, like, I don't believe that the devil's real. I, I don't, I don't buy that part of, of religion. Like, I don't think there's a devil. Like, what do you mean? Like, I don't, I don't think that if God is all is great, all powerful and created everything, I, you know, the devil, like we believe him for, for, about him from a Christian perspective, cannot possibly be real because what you're describing is a good God and a bad God. Yeah. And there's only one God, so there can't be a bad God. And and what do you mean there's a manifestation of evil that has a form that haunts the earth and, and causes us and tempts us into, to sin and steals souls from heaven? What in the fuck are you talking? It, it never made any, any sense. sense. Yeah. So I would ask questions like that. And my grandma, my religious grandma, did not respond at all all like I thought she would. She was one of the people that was most understanding. Yeah? Yeah, I, it's still baffling. I still don't quite understand. Um, but she was, she never, like my mom, your mom, would have been like, you're going to hell, you know, <laughs> you know, you, uh, whatever, you know, like immediately they would be worried for our everlasting souls. But my re religious, strictly religious, observant grandma, who, by the way, I learned this weekend, she fasts for spiritual reasons. I asked her what the longest fast she ever did. She said 21 days. Damn. I said, just on, on broth and water? She said, I drink one drink of water in the morning when I brush my teeth. That's crazy. For 21 days, my grandma didn't eat shit. That's insane. It's insane. 
Anyway, um, that's the kind of religious grandma I'm talking about. And she would hear me say that kind of thing and would be, and I'm like, I don't believe in hell. I don't. I still don't. I yeah. don't believe in hell. You know, and Melissa, if she's listening to this right now, she's like, God, Chris, you, you know, you're fucking up. But I would say stuff like that. And my, my religious grandma was like completely cool about it. You know, yeah. more cool than anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. More, my, co- more cool than the preacher who was like, you know, yeah. younger and supposed to be, you know, you're a preacher. You have like a duty to try to bring people in, not like, uh, alienate them, yeah. you know? Um, I think my mom would probably surprise you a little bit. Love you, mom. Um, she definitely thinks what she thinks, mm-hmm. but I think she's more, she's not going to like turn her back on someone for having those kind of thoughts. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I don't. And I mean, my mom has essentially said this to, you know, essentially said this much to me. She just doesn't like, she's not interested in thinking about it. Like, uh, uh, you know, she, she wants it to mean what she thinks it means. Mm-hmm. And she's not really interested in any kind of other interpretation because she thinks it's sinful, you know, to, uh, mm-hmm. this is what's in the book. This is the truth. Um, but I, and my mom is not the only person I've heard say this. It's like when God created the, the universe in, you know, the seven day, well, six days, and then he rested. All right. I heard my grandma say this. I've heard my mom say this. I've heard other people say this. They're like, well, seven days to us isn't seven days to God. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, why can't you extend that to the rest of the book? That if that doesn't literally mean seven days, then why can't the rest of it not literally mean what it says? Um, so that's really funny. Cause, because the, uh, yeah, because that argument comes up with uh, with creation. It's like to your point, science says it could it could have been many billions of years. The Bible says seven days. Um, if we can take the seven days bit to be symbolic, then we don't have a really a, we don't have a timeline problem. Yeah. Um, and I, I saw a paper written like an academic paper, and it was it was defending the literal translation, and it was saying the argument was they used the Hebrew word yom. And yom means a 24-hour day, and blah 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 blah. It, it was it was literally seven days, and it couldn't have been any other. And I just that's the kind of shit that that is not that is not the practicing of religion. Yeah, that is not the pra- that is not not only is it not the practicing of religion, it's not academic work, and it's not deconstruction either. It's not like the postmodernists do, where they do critical theory of, about a literature. It's not, it's not even that. I don't. I mean, it's like apologetics is what it is. Mm-hmm. It's apologetics, and it, it's. I don't know that it's shameful. I don't know if I would use the word shameful, but I think it's almost valueless. Like that that type of exercise. It's like if you have to defend the literal translations of of a holy book, so that you have to bend yourself like a pretzel into into different shapes to to keep the message like you want. When all you have to do is think symbolically and all those problems go away, I think maybe you want to start thinking symbolically. For sure, I totally think that that metaphorical symbolic interpretation of religions saved Christianity for me. Like I used to be, I fucking hate it. It's all stupid because it is when you interpret it literally, it doesn't make any sense. Um, but now I'm, you know, like interested in Christianity, you know, Uh, I've asked people to pray for me when I'm having hard times, you know, because I think that it, it might do something, you know, yeah, there might be uh, something to there's it. There's some, might be something to it. Yeah. Um, 
But the whole literal interpretation thing just doesn't make any sense. And one interesting thing is my mom has recently found an appreciation for Jordan Peterson. Okay, so while we're talking about him, and I want to ask you about what your mom says, I was in a sim- I don't know if you know this, but I was in a similar, I don't know if anybody knows this. I was in a similar place to you right before I, right before I had uh, my first mystic experience and right before I uh, bumped into Jordan Peterson. Um, I had the same feeling you had where I've always had this like um, unshakable uh, intuition that the idea of God as a concept is legitimate. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that we understand it correctly, that anybody understands it correctly, but that idea is foolproof. There is no way of getting around uh, a creator. There's no way of getting around it, um, in my mind. Um, <clears throat> but I started, so I've never doubted that the existence of God. That's all I'm, try, I'm trying to tell you. I never yeah. doubted the existence of God. But did have I doubted that Jesus was the Son of God? You betcha. Have I doubted that there was a flood and everyone got killed? You betcha. Did, did I did I doubt you know that Jonah got swallowed by a whale? You bet your ass. I doubted every single thing but the existence of God. You know, and um, when I it started to wear on me, where for the first time in my life, I felt like I started to feel like I didn't identify as a Christian. And that doesn't have anything to do with Christian beliefs. It has to do with the fact that I was raised in a Christian family. Everyone I know, you know, growing up was a Christian. So I feel some deep obligation to identify that way. It's not, it wasn't a choice. It was something that I felt like I was, that I inherited as a part of my identity. So I wanted to believe, you know, I would make excuses so that I could continue to believe that Jesus was the son of God. And it started getting to the point where I couldn't anymore. I don't know that I ever admitted that to anybody, but I got to the point where I was like, I, you know, Christianity may not have value to it, that it may not have a um, religious value. And maybe none of the other religions do either. You know, like I was getting to a point where I thought like, I didn't know yet, but I thought that a mystic um, explanation was the only one that would be moving to me. That's something that's beyond religion. That's deeper than culture and our differences. It's something that's common to us all. And it's something psychological. And that got me into Jordan Peterson. And when I, well, it was Joe Rogan that introduced me. But when I started listening to his biblical lectures, that's what saved Christianity for me. Yeah. It was exactly what you suggested. It was Jordan Peterson telling biblical stories from a symbolic perspective and telling you that there's a deeply important meaning applicable to your life in these stories. Yeah. And I could give an example. I don't know if, if you want to chime in here, man. Uh, I was just going to say that that's pretty much exactly the same thing that did it for me uh, is those biblical lectures. It's like, oh. So two, two stories that he say pop in my mind. Um, the first one is about Cain and Abel, you know, mm. because that story is hard to understand. And he would he and and the other one is the as as Adam and Eve in the garden. <coughs> so with Cain and Abel, he says the Bible doesn't explain why Cain's sacrifices aren't uh, accepted by God or aren't pleasing to God. But they're brothers; they both sacrifice to God, and Abel's pleasing to God, and Cain's isn't. And there's no explanation as to why, but it causes Cain to be jealous and eventually to become resentful and then to become murderous. You know, and and those forces exist psychologically in human beings. We have a Cain and an Abel, 
And it has to do with what sacrifices we're willing to make to have what we want. Mm-hmm. And if you don't sac- if you don't make the correct sacrifices, like for you, maybe it's smoking, maybe it's how you're eating, maybe it's you know how you're thinking in a certain way. If you abandon them, if you sacrifice them, then you can have what you want. But you have to identify what those sacrifices are. You can't just phone it in. And Cain apparently phoned it in. And um, has anybody ever told you the story that way? Because that's a very fucking different story. Yeah. Then don't kill your brother. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, I, so I remember growing up hearing the Cain and Abel story and definitely like Cain phoning it in was an aspect of it. You know, a- Abel gave the best, you know, top of the line sheep. Uh, you know, that's the one he sacrificed. Yep. The best one. Uh, and Cain, you know, it was like, not good enough, you know? That was definitely a part of it. And, I, I mean, maybe I was young and I didn't understand the, you know, the, the metaphor there, the symbolism. Um, but I think that a lot of, like, the adults in the congregation didn't really either, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I, I definitely remember that being a part of it. But, yeah, I mean, it it did kind of boil down to don't kill your brother. Yeah, you know? like, yeah, yeah. Well, it was like the it was like supposed to represent the introduction of sin into the world. That was a consequence of um, of Adam and Eve's prim, um, original sin. Cain and Abel were their first children, and they and they're carrying on. So you're supposed to also see this pattern of sin that that you know it's like a domino, and it's just never going to yeah. stop. It's always going to be a part of it. But nobody, especially conservative Protestant and um, uh, evangelical type churches that don't have a deep understanding of scripture, which by the way is something the Catholics have a huge advantage over the, over the rest of the Christians on. Um, uh, I don't know where I was going with that, but they're just not, they're not as, they're not as deep thinking about these things, about these stories. You know, they want to, they want to interpret it literally. And I just think that's easier. I honestly think it's cheating. It's like, that's the Sparks Notes version or something. You're cheating. Yeah. That's the Cain and Abel story. If you interpret it literally, it's like, it's almost like a stupid, pointless story. Exactly. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't know. That, if, that's basically just how I if feel. If you take all of the religious components out of the story and you read that story to a kid, it would be the worst fucking story they <laughs> yeah. ever heard in their lives. Yeah. And then the, the, one about, uh, the one about Adam and Eve in the garden, it was um, Jordan Peterson was trying, he was talking about how he struggled to understand how uh, the the fruit of the tree of knowledge, you know, that gave human beings the knowledge of good and evil. And he, he said he was struggling to understand how that caused, um, oh, what was it? The Bible says it, it, it condemns us to death and we lost paradise as a result of it and all that. Um, and he, he was talking about how he struggled to understand what the story meant. And like, why would, why would having your eyes opened and becoming conscious, knowing good and evil, why, why would it have those consequences? And then he said that he realized that when you become conscious, when you become self-conscious, that you recognize what hurts you is also going to hurt others. And that's the knowledge of good and evil. That's the first inclination of to, when you know yourself and you know what can hurt you, now you can weaponize that against other people. Yep. And I was like, fuck, man. There's just some really, really powerful symbolic meaning in those stories that atheists and scientific people, and you and I when we were young, and probably lots of people, um, do, don't appreciate. Yeah. You know? 
for sure. Uh, there's um, a segment of like the anarchist libertarian kind of right wing anarchist libertarian community that have a problem with Jordan Peterson, and I've put it, I've tweeted this out before that I want to get one of them to come on here and talk to us about it uh, because. I don't understand, you know. I, I know that Jordan Peterson is not an anarchist. Uh, I would say that he's kind of libertarian. He leans libertarian. Yeah. Um, I just want to know what their problem with him is because I think it boils down more to like a doctrinal thing than it does like a, a religious government thing. Yeah. Or, right. uh, yeah, I guess government thing is what I meant to say. But so I wonder about that myself, especially because um, it's like I know what got Jordan Peterson famous was what got him noticed and put in the news originally. It's like the least interesting aspect of it. Oh, 100% the least yeah. interesting aspect of him. Um, but it's what people want to focus on. And they want to write off everything else that he's done because he was one of those people in the early days that was saying forcing people to use preferred pronouns for transgendered people is a violation of freedom of speech and an overreach of the government, which it fucking is. Uh, but if you're a liberal, if you're a super progressive person, you might you might not like that, and that's fine. You can have that feeling if you want. But that's what that's what the people who attack him that's what they seem to focus on. And any other little nitpicky thing he might have said that they can twist, mm -hmm. they will, and they just write off everything else. And what's really frustrating to me is people who I respect and admire that that respond that way. And it's never about what it's never about those things. It's like Jordan Peterson will have a clip on YouTube where he said something about this or that, and they're and they're just railing him on Twitter and all these negative responses. And it's like again, people that I respect and admire, like uh, Philip Goff and Dr. Shirsta Hughes, mm -hmm. as as just a couple of examples, people that are right up that panpsychism, right in the heart of that panpsychism, um, uh, uh, you know, debate that I love. And they have no place in their mind for Jordan Peterson's ideas. And that's completely baffling to me. It's so unfair. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. There's a, there's a few people that I would like to try to get on. Um, I'm just, there's one guy who, his name's Matt Erickson. He's pretty awesome. Um, his whole thing is don't be concerned with politics. What you should be concerned with is developing influence in your own life, developing power in your own life. Mm. So that way the powers that be have less power over you, you know? Yeah, like and that. so that when the collapse that a lot of people in my kind of, you know, the, the, the lane that I'm in think is coming, uh, you'll be good. You know, you'll have all of these established, you know, you'll have wealth, you'll have um, influence, you'll have community. It won't be as big a deal to you. Yeah. You'll, you'll kind of have a safety net. Um, but yeah, I know he's a religious guy, uh, like Eastern Orthodox kind of mm. uh, Christianity. Uh, and I'm fairly sure that he's one of the guys who is not on board with Jordan Peterson. That would be kind of a big get, though. Listen, I would I would have the conversation. I would absolutely have the conversation. I, I, I'm not saying... I mean, I would be learning things, I'm sure, in a conversation like that. And I would, be, I would struggle to not be defensive. I don't know why... I think it's just because the impact that Jordan had on me was so profound at a time when I was having uh, significant spiritual enlightenment, and it, there was so much synthesis, so much cohesion between what I was experiencing and what I was reading from him and hearing from him that it, it you know, I feel uh, like an attack on, on you know, 
an attack on maps of meaning, you know, is sort of is sort of an attack on uh, some of the foundational beliefs I have, the mystical beliefs I have. Yeah, you know, everything that Jordan says when he describes. Um, when he, especially when he goes back to the uh, book of Genesis and he's talking about how God is conceptualized and he's talk, he talks about chaos and order and then he relates this conception of God to the chaos and order we experience in our lives, the moments when, and just the way he defines those terms and fits all of these deepest components of our lives into the mythological narrative that we've all written off as, as bullshit stories for kids. It's so powerful, man. Uh, Jordan Peterson is the fucking man. That's what I have to say. Yep. All right. Um, yeah, I don't really know what else to say about that. Me either. Um, when I was at my grandma's house, I saw a picture of my great-grandma, well, my great-grandparents, on the table. And I, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but I picked it up and looked at it, and it was the first time that I have seen my great-grandmother's face since I was like 10 years old, whenever she died. Um, I can't remember anymore. But she, but she was around for a long time, you know. I uh, and she, she played a big part in like raising my my dad and uh, his um, sister and brothers. And we spent a lot of time there. Like my great grandma was a lot like most people's relationship, or like with her grandma. Mm-hmm. So I loved my great grandmother. She was a, she was a tremendous lady, and um, she's the only person that I ever dreamt about after they died. Like some people have dreams about people after they die. I had one uh, of of her. Anyway, I saw this photo of her. And I hadn't seen her face in so, so long. It's like I had forgotten it. You know? I had forgotten it. Mm-hmm. I mean, and if I tried to picture it, I don't think I could. And I saw that picture, and it was like, whoosh, all these memories, just just all these memories flooded into the surface. The, the image of her face just, like, opened up a, a vault in my brain that's been shoved down into the bottom of the bin. And all these memories came flooding back. It was really, really interesting, man. That is interesting. It is weird how people who can have been so influential to you and such a big part of your life you can they can just fade you know like especially things like the way their face looks you know like other things are not necessarily going to fade as much um but it's hard like i mean i can try to picture the face of somebody that i saw yesterday i'm sure i could probably close my eyes right now and try to picture your face and like i mean i guess i can do it yeah but it's it's not as easy it's not as easy uh uh-uh if I close my eyes and try to picture you, there's like a lot of photographs that will come to my mind. Sure. Memories of photos rather than memories of you. It's yeah, weird. That is weird. Uh, another, yeah. another time that happened to me where I had that weird feeling of memories coming back, it's hard to understand. Like like a part of my brain just got turned back on. Um, this is a less significant example, but my wife was talking about a cartoon called David the Gnome from when we were kids. No idea. I, acted, I responded like you just re- responded. David the David the who? I don't know what you're talking about. She's like, you you got to know what I'm talking about. And we and I was like, listen, it, it sounds like you're describing a cartoon I used to watch called Little Bits. Are you talking about Little Bits? No, David the fucking gnome. So finally, we we decided uh, this is the, tw- the 21st century. We can just YouTube pop on YouTube, and uh, she we put on David the gnome, and I see the cartoon character, and no memory registers to me. I see the an- the animation. I can see the era it's from. It's familiar. It's the 1980s, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't know it. Then the song starts. The oh. theme song. And it was like, Wah! it was just like something came back to my mind from, from fucking probably five years old or younger. Yeah. There was the song and it was stored way fucking back there. And when I heard it, it was like, 
I guess I do know David Gnome. It was, but it's a strange feeling, man. Has that ever happened to you? Um, I mean, yeah, things like that have happened, I guess. Uh, not with David the Gnome, though. Yeah. I don't think if I heard that song, I would know that. <laughs> I, David the Gnome, to me, seems completely alien. But that's how you felt, too, so maybe. That's exactly how I felt. Um, but one thing I was thinking, you know how you were talking about if you close your eyes and try to picture me, it's like you remember pictures more mm-hmm. than you remember actual yep. memories. Yep. Um, you know how, like, way back in the day, like, the Germanic tribes, they didn't have writing. They It was all oral tradition. They just remembered things. Yep. And they felt like having a system of writing would damage your memory, which is true. It absolutely is true. I wonder if having photographs... You know, we've talked about having, like, visual memory, like picture memory and how valuable that is. And, uh, yeah. you know, like you talked about thinking in pictures more yeah. than you th- talk about thinking in concepts. I wonder if having like photography has, you know, diminished that aspect. Dude, that of is thinking. a really, really good question, man. Like if you could go back to a time before video and, and before photos, you know, I guess there's not really a time before like representational art, but you have to get good at it enough yeah. to make it realistic. Imagine going back to a time before language, even before sophisticated language. Imagine how different your memories, how different your thinking would be. I mean, that's a really interesting idea. Like if you could pull a caveman in here and just pop like a helmet on him and read his mind and see, and see how he thinks or how she, how she thinks, uh, it would be really interesting. Cause I wonder, I wonder how that, that stuff impacts it. Cause it must, it must, you know, we know that those we talked about this before, but those people back in the Middle Ages, like, had the Bible memorized. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the people in the Middle East right now have the Quran memorized. Yeah. Not, not everyone, but people. Yeah. Do you know any human being like that in the West? No. no. Uh, uh, uh. I don't know anybody who could recite, like, a poem, you know, like a short poem. Yeah, I'm embarrassed to say we would probably have difficulty uh, naming all Ten Commandments if we tried. I could bang out the Lord's Prayer for you. Oh, I could do that for too, sure. yeah. I could bang out. That's the, like one of the few things, though. I could bang out the uh, Hail Mary, Pledge of Allegiance. Pledge of Allegiance, yeah. yeah. What else? What else? Jesus loves me. I could do that. <laughs> row, row, row your boat. Yeah, <laughs> that never goes away, man. You learn that when you're two, and you're never, ever, ever forgetting that song. Yeah, that might be the most enduring part of modern culture. Row, row, row your boat. Possibly. You know, everybody learns it. Doesn't matter what race or creed you, you you're a part of. You're gonna know. Row your boat. True. Um. Oh, one other thing. Remember how I told you that I was? Um, maybe it was before the podcast. I think it was. I was telling you I was listening to those or watching those videos that uh, Dr. Shirstead Hughes put up on um, online. Uh, he has three that that I saw on there, um, and there's a YouTube channel for it, but I can't remember what it's called. In any case. Um, he's got one like long one on panpsychism and he's got two shorter ones. One of them is on Alfred North Whitehead and the other one is on Spinoza. Both are people influenced him tremendously. Spinoza is one of my, one of my biggest influences. And I didn't know about Alfred North Whitehead until I read his book and, uh, I'm super intrigued. So I thought it's all kind of complicated, both Spinoza and Whitehead kind of complicated. So I was like, all right, I'll watch these videos. Um, so I watched those videos, and when I was watching the Spinoza one, he brought up something I actually hadn't caught before. Um, it was uh, something that Spinoza says. It's called canatus. Canatus must be a Latin word, and it represents something like your will. You know, 
whatever drives you to act in whatever way you do, what you, whatever that is, your will, the things you want and why you want the things you want, that kind of thing. Um, he describes, Spinoza describes it as the thing that differentiates us. It's like we're all the same in the beginning, but our drive, our will to become is what takes us on different paths. And so it causes us to become different, you know, from one another. Otherwise we'd be identical. And, uh, and I was wondering about that, and one of the questions I asked him on Twitter is, I said, if individuals have a canatus that's responsible for, you know, the path of their life, do groups have canatus? Does a group, does a nation have a will? And if so, how does that work? Is it, is it the synthesis of all the individuals that live in that society's canatus, or is it just the ruling class doing that, or is it some kind of emergent phenomenon that we can't understand how it, how it happens or is it something else is it like a large like a like as an as a society we're like a, a one level up on the organism scale you know you have your cells then you have your human body then you have the society mm-hmm. and maybe it's got its own canatus and you can kind of see that sometimes if you see how different cultures are sure so i just wonder what you think about that i mean i think that america's you know, Kanatis, you know, I'm trying to think of, I guess just culture is kind of, it, it, that's almost kind of what you're, you know, it, it's very similar to that. Um, there's definitely a very specific American one. Yeah. It's changing and it's been changing, you know, since day one. Yeah, I think so. But still, there's, there's a specific way that Americans are and, um, you know, the individuals within that may disagree with it or agree with it to certain degrees. Um, but I would say that, yeah, I think that there's gotta be, I, I just, I, I it's, an, it's an interesting idea. Canadas. I, um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. I heard this comedian, Pete Holmes. He's got a podcast. It's pretty good. Yeah. Um, he was talking about, I forget what it is. It's some kind of like Myers-Briggs personality assessment test though. And it assigns you into numbers. I think it's like one through 10 or something like that. And he was saying that he is a number three and that, um, I forget what he broke down that number three means, but he said that America is a number three country. Like, Ooh, so yeah. he, the, what he is, is kind of valued by the country at large. And it had something to do with like, Markets like being able to market ideas and things like that, turning things into products. Mm. Um, and you know, that makes sense with America, that that's like right on the button, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. It's interesting because it reminds me of something else we've talked about. Um, and it's so it's kind of coming together because uh, one of the things that Dr. Sherstead Hughes said in that video about Spinoza is that the end of his ethics towards the end that he starts getting into like deeply psychological topics. It's all philosophical. And psychology didn't exist as a practice in the 1600s, right? It was like Spinoza might have been the first psychologist. You know, like he was talking along these ideas that sound like what would become like depth psychology, Jungian psychology, and I love that shit. And it it happens to have a connection here that that occurred to me, that canatis, the thing that individuates you from other people, that drives you along, that that thing is like Jung describes when he talks about your personality developing, he calls it circumambulation. Mm. And we talked about this before, but it's like the mandala images in mythology, that was something that Jung was fascinated with because it's like a labyrinth. And what you're trying to do is get to the middle of the labyrinth. 
and some of those walls are blocked and you got to back up and take different routes. And so you have this convoluted path. You're going to make mistakes along the way, but you're trying to get to the middle. And the, and the thing about the mandala is it's like, it's like an, an infinite spiral. There's, you can never get to the middle. You're just going to keep working closer and closer and closer to the middle. And the way Jung described it for, is from your personality perspective. And I can attest to this. It's like if you, if you get interested in a topic, you can't really tell why. Why does it grab you? That's something Jordan, Jordan Peterson talks about. Why does, it, does an idea or a concept or a topic grab you as interesting when others don't? It's very difficult to understand that. But when something does, it's, it's like calling to you to investigate it. That's the chaos that attracts you. It's the, it's the gleaming you know, star in the sky. It's the golden snitch from Harry Potter. It's the thing that flutters and flashes that catches your attention. And if you go after it, what you will find is different paths. You're going to learn more about this, this thing that interests you. And it, it's going to be related to a thousand other things. And one or, one or two of those thousand other things, they're also going to grab you. And then you're going to follow those paths. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be all these branches. And some of them are going to grab you. And if, if you keep following those paths, that you, it's your circle, you're circumambulating. You're getting closer and closer and closer to something. But you don't know what. And that is another example of the magic and mystery of existence. That that is the case. That there's some glowing hidden object. You know, hide it under under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. There's something like that. There's that golden snitch from Harry Potter that we're seeking after. And all these philosophers have talked about it. Schopenhauer talked about, he called it our restlessly striving. That's what he called it. Um, There's something like that, that we're, that we're aiming towards that we don't understand. And it, and it grabs our interest and pulls us in that direction. And if you follow it, your life is an adventure. It's the adventure of following your interests and seeing where they take you and you change along the way and it makes you, you become something through the process. Or you could take the other path, which some people take, where they see the glimmering flashes, they see their attention being drawn towards a problem or an idea and they, and they stick their head in the sand like a, like a flamingo. What are those, what are those ostrich? Are those the ones that do it? They They don't really do it. They stuff their, stuff their head in the sand like an ostrich who doesn't really do it. And, uh, (laughs) Th- those people's lives aren't an adventure. They're suffering. They're, they're misery. Those people aren't happy. That, you, that there's something deeply, deeply true about a human's journey through life that is legitimately symbolized by a freaking mandala. You can look at this picture, this mandala, and it means all of that. And it blows my fucking mind. Sorry, man, I got on a little tangent good. there. But. Um, I, do, I love the Harry Potter reference. I'm always appreciative of that, uh, but yeah, I, I mean that's definitely. I'm I'm almost finished with uh, with uh, Half Blood Prince. I've been listening oh, to yeah. it in the car. I've listened to it before, obviously, but did you it's been a long time. Go all the way through, or did you just start listening? To I went Half-Blood all the way th- when you when you started bringing it up. Yeah. I, I went back and started listening to him, and the only one I skipped was um, was Secret Chamber of Secrets Two. Yeah, yeah. the second one. Yeah. Uh, I listened to them all and. This one is my absolute favorite. Half Blood Prince is the, the best, one. best. Yeah, it's and I know it's coming up. Um, we're getting, I think we're approaching Dumbledore dying. Yeah, and uh, but everything up to that and the story has just been so good, man. You know that when Snape kills Dumbledore, that's a good. That's a good you know part of the book. It's powerful, but yeah. I, 
I think kind of what makes it powerful actually comes in the next book when you find out all of the behind story of that. Yeah. And that Snape is like the good guy throughout. He's yeah. like the best guy throughout the entire series. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, I don't, I don't want to go down a Harry Potter rabbit hole. I do fucking love Harry Potter. <laughs> I'm a, I'm I, a Harry Potter nerd for sure. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know either. I'm just scratching off topics from our list. Another thing that we'll have, uh, just like, uh, Remember the Kyle spiritual reconstruction episode? I love that episode. So, Rhett, uh, who I focused on mostly on that, they did, you know, I think three years ago is when that came out. And then a year ago, they did an update. And just like a couple months ago, they did another update. And he's kind of like going back a little bit which I'm, I like a lot okay so I think uh, I'll, I'll do some uh, you know some digging into that episode and we'll have to talk about uh, it we, we would love that we would yeah. all love that um, but yeah I don't know uh, I just that, that made for something about that made me think of it I don't know what well listen man, we have some other topics that we can talk about however there was you sent me another video and we're coming up on time so it's we'll like look. that's just like uh, an embarrassing political video for the left. You know the new. Um, she took Jen Psaki's place. Yes. Uh, Karine Jean Jean Pierre. Yes. Black lady. Yes. Lesbian. Oh, is she? Okay. So she's like hitting all the marks. Yeah. You know? But the problem the is that she's not impressive at all. She like you put her in front of the microphone in front of these reporters who are asking her questions, and the best one. You know, I, I don't love Trump. I don't love everything he stands for, but that chick he had, Kaylee McEnany, she was impressive, man. Yeah. These reporters would ask her things, and she would just smack them the fuck down. Nice. <laughs> um, this lady is not impressive at all, and you'll so. Um, well, I want to say Jin Saki was impressive. Um, kind of. She she was better than this lady she, for sure. She wasn't sh- um, shaken up by anything. Yeah, and uh, she also seemed to be. She she knew the talking points better. This lady, I only saw like brief clips of her, but she was definitely reading a lot off of uh, off of her notes. Yeah. Um, but w- tell me if you noticed this. Did you notice that she did her makeup exactly like Jin Saki? I didn't. And she copies her mannerisms. No, I didn't. It's like she it's like she learned watching she Jin Saki, and she's trying to and like a lot of people do that when they first start something. They they see somebody who's really good at it, and they just emulate them until they find their own their own way. And I was watching her talk, and the way she looked and spoke, I could just see elements of Jen Psaki over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. It's like Jen, Jen Psaki in blackface. Oh, God. <laughs> right. um, I, what was I going to say? Since she wasn't impressive, she checks all the boxes. Oh, so there was another video that I wanted to find. It was of stuff of her before she took the job, and it's her just... Everything is racism. No oh God. It, I really wanted to find it, but I couldn't find it. It's like, literally, she she talks about like every issue, every political issue in the world, and attributes attributes it to racism. It's ridiculous. It's super entertaining. Is this one? This one is it worth watching? Yeah, it's pretty okay. good. It's uh, uh that I think he's from. He's got to be from Fox, the uh, White House correspondent At Peter President Ducey. Twitter oh, yeah, yeah. account posted the other day. You want to bring down inflation, That's let's make is. sure the wealthiest corporations pay their fair share. Mm-hmm. How does raising taxes on corporations reduce inflation? Um, so, are you talking about a specific tweet? He tweeted, you want to bring down inflation, let's make sure the wealthiest corporations pay their fair share. 
Look, you know, we have talked about um, we have talked about this this past year uh, about um, making sure that the wealthiest among us are paying their fair share, um, and that is important to do. And uh, that is something that uh, you know the president has been you know working on uh, every day when we talk about inflation and lowering costs. And so it's very important uh, that uh, you know as we're seeing costs rise, uh, as we're talking about how to you know uh, you know build a, a, a America that's safe, that's equal for everyone and doesn't leave everyone behind, that is an important part of that as well. But how does raising taxes on corporations lower the cost of gas, the cost of a used car, the cost of food for everyday Americans? That's a good so question. Look, I think we encourage those who have done very well right especially those who care about climate change that question. Uh, to support a fair ta tax code that doesn't change that doesn't charge manufacturers workers cops builders a higher percentage of their earnings that the most fortunate people in our nation and not let the look at her, her eyes are, haven't been on the cameras at all energy costs and fighting this ex existential problem if you think about that as an example and to support basic collective bargaining rights oh as God. well right that's also important but Look, it is, you know, by not, if, without having a fair tax code, which is what I'm talking about, then all, the, every, like manufacturing workers, cops, you know, it's not fair for them to have to pay higher taxes than the folks that, who are, who are, who are not paying taxes at all. What? After saving with customized cars. Oh my cars. goodness, all right, that's enough of that. Did any of that make any sense? No. I mean, well, she didn't answer the question at all, but that doesn't really surprise me. They never no. do. Um, but she said, you know, and um a thousand times. Yeah, she was just tripping over her words. She yeah. had no idea what she was talking she about. She didn't. She didn't. She was supposed to stick to those talking points, and that's why she had her eyes down the whole time. She she was just sticking to her talking points. It's like, I don't, judging by that video clip, I don't think that she knows what inflation is. I don't, it clearly, yeah, I mean, absolutely. If she, well, the, that's, that's hard to tell. If she's going to answer the question directly, which she's not, yeah. then we then we would know, clearly she has no fucking idea. But maybe she's just not allowed to say anything that's not on the paper. So, I mean, I have some sympathy for her, honestly, because that's a hard job. Especially when the president that you are the mouthpiece for is that fucking oh, doddering old man. Golly, man. That's not an easy job. Um, to be fair, though, Kaylee McEnany was the mouthpiece for, he wasn't like... A, a falling apart old man like Joe Biden, but he was a loudmouth buffoon who just said whatever the fuck popped yeah. into his head. You know, I don't, and she I don't, still did a really good job. I don't remember so. ever listening to her during oh, Trump's man. presidency. You got to go watch watch like a highlight reel. <laughs> okay, uh, she was she was oh, good. That's worth doing. But that video is fucking embarrassing, man. That's she's off to a bad start. It is embarrassing. It's, it's embarrassing. It reflects poorly on the entire country because it's the position that she's in. I love that Peter Doocy like took the screws to her, like didn't let her off the hook. He was like. Okay, I'm going to ask you again, yeah. and I'm going to make it even more clear. How does that reduce costs of gas and yeah. used cars and food for the everyday American? And she's like, so, um... Cops and, uh... <laughs> yeah, collective bargaining, and what the fuck are you talking about? It's embarrassing. It is embarrassing. America's embarrassing right now. Yeah, man. As, like, a, a country, the, the leadership of this country, and... People said, you remember, people said that about Trump. They were like, this is embarrassing that this guy. Yeah. And maybe it was on some level, yeah, on but some this level. is more embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. I agree, man. It's, I wish we could have more, I wish we could have more engaged political talk about this, but we fucking agree. <laughs> we yeah. agree, man. I got one last topic we can close on. We'll get back into the realm of the hippie dip for a second. I saw an article title on the news, 
this morning. It said, scientists say there may be a mirror world. Scientists say there may be a mirror world. Yeah. What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on that, Kyle? The, well, I don't know what that means. Exactly, man. What does that mean? Does that mean there's a world where everyone looks like they do in the mirror? Yeah. Everything, you, all the writing flipped. is backwards and everyone's yeah. symmetry is opposite. Um, what does that mean? Well, apparently, if you read the article a little bit, it says there's a lot of there's a, a lot of questions about the expansion of the universe. And when they finally got measurements of it and they found out that they all the physicists expected that the universe was slowing down, that the Big Bang happened and everything was was pushed out from the middle and after, after because of gravity after a while it would slow down i think and it then, starts slowing down immediately really but it's still going yeah. extremely fast but that's the thing yeah. and they measured it and they found out not only is it speeding up yeah but the, it's like the further out you go the faster it's going away from you yeah it's blowing up the universe is blowing up in this weird, weird way that nobody can understand and that's why you you hear physicists bringing in these these buzzwords like dark energy and dark matter they don't know what either of those things are. They just propose these words to explain this thing we can't ex- we can't explain. Yeah. It sounds smart to say there must be dark energy pushing them apart, but we have no fucking idea. This article says this, that we can explain the expansion of the universe by attributing extra gravity to a mirror parallel world to ours that exists not in another dimension, here with us. That's why the gravity affects the universe we're in. That's what dark matter is. It's here. It's not somewhere else. So there is a invisible, this is what the article said. There is scientists who believe there may be an invisible world, whatever that might mean, parallel to ours that affects the gravity of the system, but we can't detect it. So that's why you hear words like dark matter, dark energy, because we can't detect it. And I think it's interesting that, that such a wild idea would be suggested as an explanation but it also tickles my interest a little bit because when i say when i'm getting into my more hippy dippy moments and i say that um that the material part of the world is half the world you know to to use jordan peterson's words reality is the ouroboros it's opposites in in union and one half of of that spectrum is material reality and the other half as far as i'm concerned is God or sentience, but they're one thing together. They're one thing. And if the scientists, these physicists are saying that there's this mirror world, that's what comes to my mind. The other half, the invisible half, opposite to the visible part. I, I've, I've used a word uh, describing it. It's not my word, but I've used it. Non-being. Being is the world. Non-being is the mirror world, apparently. And I, that's an idea that philosophically I've come, come to through mystic intuition, and then I read this article, and I'm thinking to myself, as crazy as that sounds, I kind of, I kind of agree. I kind of think there's something to that. I don't know what, but I just, it just, I thought it was interesting that it paralleled that idea. Yeah, yeah. I just can't help but think that science is bullshit. <laughs> like, uh, I know that science led to that, you know, that idea, this mirror world, and that's something that that you can vibe with, but. Up until that point, science was this is what it is, and if you question it, you're completely off the mark. Yeah. Um, I don't know that that's. Uh, you know what that reminds me of is another thing I saw. Uh, saw more than one person say that these academics that are coming out of college, 
they go out into the field with scientists like Jane Goodall or, you know, scientists that are doing that kind of work. Like they want to learn about monkeys, so they go live with monkeys for seven years. Like that kind of science, mm-hmm. that's different from like r- publishing papers, you know. It's a different kind of science. It's like hands-on. And that there's all these, res- all these um, research scientists out there in the world doing stuff like that. And all these new, like, college grads, they come and they, you know, doctoral, you know, the students or whatever, they come and they join the team. And he said, the, but more than one person said, that these newfangled people can't do experiments in the world, get results, and feel confident to, that they can believe them. They can no longer do science. And I've heard two people say this, that unless it's a peer-reviewed paper, they, they can't believe it. They, they, they are reluctant to believe it as fact, even if they see it with their own eyes. And, you know, and the guy's like, how can you even do science? If somebody has to peer-review an article before you believe it, how can you even do science? You know, you got to do the work to write the article. You know, you got to get out there in, in the world and figure it out. And that the people coming out of college nowadays aren't, aren't being trained to think that way. You know, yeah. they don't want to get their hands dirty. It's all theoretical. It's all theoretical. Yeah. I, I had a thought about like progressive ideology and that like, you know, even back, I don't know, like five, eight years ago, I, you know, I was still very libertarian and more to the right than a lot of people. But I remember thinking that there was this idea, this truth that we were progressing towards and that eventually, you know, there weren't going to be racists anymore because it's just like a dying. And I actually do think that there's some truth to that. Like it is less than it used to be, you know? Yep. Um, but the idea that you're going to get everyone to be on the same page with things doesn't make any fucking sense. And I think that um, they kind of do that with science, too. They're like, this is what we want you to think. This is what we're working towards. Mm. So That's exactly the wrong way to do science, man. Yeah. God. You know, uh, I'll, I'll share this last little story um, because it, it leads to, well, it's, it's kind of about racism, but let me tell you what I mean. Um, we had to pick up a U-Haul truck to, to move my folks to my grandma's and they live, um, where they live now, the closest U-Haul truck place is, is it, it's in the hood, man. It's in the effing hood. <laughs> so we drove to the hood and we go out, we go in there and the guy's working behind the, um, the counter, black dudes. But one of them was, uh, was older, maybe not as old as my dad, but maybe around that age. Kind of had like a gray beard and he was like an old, an old school black dude. And, um, we had a nice exchange with him and we, we left. And then at the end of the day, we brought the truck back and he was still there. And my dad and him were talking kind of chummy and, um, it was an interesting thing to see because it's like two guys from the same generation or approximately the same generation that have seen what the world was like in the seventies and in the eighties. And and we got back in the car and we were leaving and my dad said something nice about the, about the black guy uh, that we were talking to. And he, he, and what, what came through to me was like my dad and this black dude, you know, different races they're, ha- they're having this they're having this ordinary conversation. Um, the only tension, the only tension that you would perceive in this ordinary interaction is imposed on it by the idea that we're all racist, especially white people. And it's like there's, there is a little bit of tension there only because we're different colors. It's a weird thing. And, uh, and I, I just got this feeling that like these guys, both of them, my dad and this guy, they know what real racism is because they've seen it. Mm-hmm. And they know that the world we're living in now is 
the, the claims of racism now are not are not real. They're not like they're not like they were. And they're not like the '60s or the '70s or the '80s or the '90s. That things have been steadily improving with race relations, and it's like my, these old these two old men, you know, who you would expect to be curmudgeonly and racist because they're old men. They had this just beautifully normal interaction with each other and simpatico and, and having this mutual respect across racial divide. And I just had this feeling that 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 couldn't ever be allowed today. And the generation that's coming up now when they're six in their sixties having that having that conversation, what's that gonna be like? You know? It's a good question. They're gonna Will they even talk? Will they, you know? That's a great question. Will you say you say will they even talk? And and like part of me thinks to myself how silly. And then immediately I think to myself, they're like splitting up kids in school and having white class and black class for different things now mm-hmm. because they don't want to, because they don't, if they're, they want to be racially insensitive. Like that is the, the opposite of progress, you guys. Yeah. I don't, I'm not too worried about it because even though it seems like they have a, a stranglehold on things, I don't think the progress, progressive ideology is winning out. I think it's, it's going to fall eventually. Um, I sure hope so, man. But you think back to remember when, you know, all the riots and shit were happening in Seattle. They had Chaz or Chop or yep. whatever the fuck they were called. Yep, yeah. And they were like segregating. You know, it's like Unbelievable. it was kind of flipped on its head. Like white people, you need to mind your own business and let the, the you know, minorities have their own thing. But like how soon until those minorities within themselves start segregating? And, you know, it's just uh, it, it's all fucking weird. Oh yeah, just a just a progressive paradise, Kyle. Mm-hmm. And that's all I have for you today. This has been the Two Tongues Podcast. Thanks for listening. Peace. Well, there you have it. That's one avenue explored, but infinitely more still to go. I hope you enjoyed thinking along with us. I know, I know. It's not easy work thinking. It's hard and full of uncertainties, but I'm grateful for the company as we trek through this together. Here's to hoping that the juice is worth the squeeze. See what I did there? Let's find out together in the next episode.